Welcome to Dragon Talk for 2019. Woo, yeah, woo. Woo, yeah, woo. <laughs> I am Greg Tito, and I am here not with Shelly Mazzanoble. We have a new person here for today. I'm Nega Noble. N- Nega Noble? <laughs> Nega Noble? <laughs> What's that? I'm, I'm Shelly Mazzanoble oh. from <laughs> the Negaverse. <laughs> that makes, uh, it's like a, a Power Rangers reference or something, right? I don't know. <laughs> I just made it up. Um, I'm Satine Phoenix. Hi, Satine. Hello. And we also have in the studio today for this special visit, uh, Tanya DePaz. Hello, everyone. How Hello. are you? Uh, so, yeah, this is a crazy time in January. We're getting everything ready to go for 2019. And, of course, on this weekend, there's a lot of people here visiting for gaming conventions and other fun stuff. So why not get everybody on mic? Yeah. That's what I like to say. Sure. Why not? Grab them. Grab them. Uh, so we got a great episode Uh, The first one of 2019 uh, coming at you. Uh, We will uh, talk to uh, JP and Max Gonzalez, uh, otherwise known as uh, Gassy Mexican. Uh, (laughs) JP and and Max have been uh, cast members and and, and starters of the Court of Swords show uh, on Roleplay Network. They're one of the longest... um, Live play D and D shows out there uh, got huge followings. Uh, in some ways, they began the trend of folks who were doing esports streaming on Twitch, and then started playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I can't wait to uh, talk to them uh, during our interview. Um, and uh, they're celebrating their 100th episode of Court of Swords. Yeah, that's um, amazing, and they're really great guys. I'm really happy to support them. Me too. Uh, and and 100 episodes is a long ass time. That's long. a really long time, right? That, that's syndication. You're gonna start, you know, for for, for TV sitcoms, <laughs> they'd be in. Uh, is that a, is there a number for syndication? I mean, usually the 100 episodes is when they start. You know, oh, wow. they're doing it right. So that's like, you know, you've been dedicated this long. It's like a reward. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and anything bumps up after that. So I can't wait for this to be on uh, WSBK TV 38. Uh, <laughs> that was just where I watched all my syndicated TV shows when I was growing up. That was the Boston Channel. It had like MASH back to back yeah. to back when wow. I was a kid. Uh, so yeah, Court of Swords. Hopefully that, that's where you guys end up soon. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk through all about the history about that, where it came from, and uh, what to look for in the future. Uh, you know, Dungeon Master Adam Coble has been leading them uh, and uh, you know designing the game. Uh, that they're that they're playing around it as well too. So uh, we'll be talking to them hopefully next week uh, about some more of the mechanical uh, type stuff um, on Dragon Plus. But we'll we'll get more information about that uh, for you guys then. Um, and then of course we have our segment. Uh, this is going to be a sage advice segment. I finally was able to get Jeremy Crawford in the studio. We're going to talk about underwater combat. I think that is the goal uh, for this sage advice. And I always love talking to Jeremy about. Uh, his philosophy behind rules and that's what that's all about and uh, potentially answer any questions you might have about fighting uh, with your armor or not on. I have so many questions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Celise. She would totally drown. She would die. <laughs> I mean, does mage armor, like can you use mage armor as an air bubble underwater? See, that's a question I'm going to have to ask him. But what if you're not a magic user and you just happen to have enchanted armor? Can you use a scroll of mage armor? But <laughs> would the ink run? Like, what? So <laughs> do you have to use it and then go in the water? Oh, so many. Oh. And that's where we're all going to, because that's what some of the questions were like, can you cast spells while you're underwater? Does that does magic still work the same talk. way? Because you can't talk. You can make noise. Can you make noise? See? I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let's go underwater. 
<laughs> but we're not all Eusatine. We're not magical. That's true. Oh, yes, my secret is out. <laughs> you have much higher magic quotient than all of us do. I'm hiding my ears under all this gear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where they were. Yeah. Um, I was unpacking my luggage yesterday. <laughs> I forgot that I actually brought my ears. But what, what people recognize you without the ears, though? Well, now they're going to recognize me in a hat because I've been really into these. Okay, uh, I don't like sports. I like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but I really like sports ball hats. This is new because it has Dungeons and Dragons on it. <laughs> I want one of those so bad. They're so cool. Don't you have the one with the metal ampersand? Yeah, I do. Thanks to Greg, and yeah. everyone tries to steal it. Yeah, I don't have one yet. Yet they were they were few and far between. Yeah. Tanya came at the exact right moment <laughs> where we're like, oh, we have these. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, but yeah, they were they were one of our licensee partners, uh, and they went super fast. Like almost everything that mm-hmm. we we have. Uh, so I'm hoping 2019 uh, changes that up and allows everybody to get more and more D and D lifestyle stuff like that. I think the hat is a is a black baseball cap uh, that that Satine has on right now. I the, want the black on black. Yes. Yeah, really? we had those for a while with the with the uh, yeah, uh, the black I, and board embroidery. Yeah, and I kept giving mine away because people are like, "That's great," and I'm like, "Oh, you want the, here? You can have it." Yeah, and I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> Don't give that hat away anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do all day long, though. I'm always like, "Oh, here, take yeah, take take, take all take this it. stuff. Yeah, get it out there." Well, and, that's how I have my my winter hat because you gave me yours. That's true. That's true. It looks good on you, though. Thank you. See, that's the thing. I just like to give things to my friends. <laughs> that, that, that will make them look even better. Like that's yeah. you know, like there's there's certain two that you're like the, the not every single piece of D and D apparel we make looks good on every single person, right? So that's like true. you got to find the the piece that matches. I yeah. have one more left. Yeah, I keep it in my car because it matches my car. <laughs> so Is it like stupid. on the dash? It's on the back, and then it says Dungeons and Dragons like on the car itself. In red, so it's like a black car with red, and then oh I have the D and D baseball cap just sitting in the window. That's awesome! Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Here's a random question: Do you guys name your cars? Oh yeah, because I do. Yeah, when I had a car, briefly I did. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've taught to a few people here, and usually our kids get us psyched about it, so they like the fact that we we name our cars and they refer to them as as the names all the time. What's your name? But uh, we have two, so we have Chili, uh, <laughs> which is uh, like a bright red, almost like this uh, piece of like the ampersand. Ah, cute. Um, but it was it was, looks like a chili pepper, so like, <laughs> oh, it's Chili. <laughs> and then Ruby is our other one. It's another like a another red red car. Uh, I guess we all got red cars at this point. Um, but uh, my my girl was like, oh, I, is is that. My friends are saying that's not that everybody names their cars, and I was like, "Oh, their parents are boring. Their parents are boring. That's exactly <laughs> what I said. I was like, "Well, they don't have as cool cool parents as, as you do." I bet their parents. So when they first got their first car, they probably named it. I would hope so. And then they were just like, "I don't. Know, I'm going to get another car." But maybe they were boring teenagers or boring twenty somethings with their first car. Because that, that's true. Yeah, my parents never named the cars. We always named them for them. So maybe. <laughs> Oh, really? It's just us. Yeah. It's just oh. us. I mean, oh, yeah. We, I just called them weird, creepy things after a while because they were. We had one that had the the felt was coming down. Oh god. Uh, that <laughs> we, yes. You know those old guys. So, yeah. and then my brother had a staple gun in the car with him. So like, you just get angry and be like, <laughs> and like staple it up, and it would last for like you know two or three days, and then it would start to rip down again. Oh my god. So we called that car Staples because uh, that's that's what you do. Because it had it was like basically covered with the whole roof was covered with you know. Yeah. That's oh awesome. My Mine's good. Valkyrie right now. Valkyrie. Yes. Yeah, so I I, 
I have a very fancy car. Nice. And this one, I traded in a lease. So I traded in every two years. Yeah. It's the best way to go. And it's always upgraded. Nice. Um, she's all black and she has chrome. Like there's just a lot Ooh. of chrome and she's very uh, regal. And the last one I had, uh, <laughs> she, I called her, she's purple. So she was purple and she was kind of like, she was sassy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I called her Champagne Saboski. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you start blinging it up too and put a? a she was a limited edition Mercedes, so yeah. it was like you can't get that color anymore. So she was the fanciest. So with Shabowski. So it's a skit on Saturday Night Live about um, Swarovski. Mm. These girls oh. and they're like oh, Saboski. Oh, and I'm just I like, remember oh, that. You're ridiculous. That's okay. the moment with Scarlett Johansson where she's like, no, the statues. And the th- right? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's like part of that series. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Wow. So, yeah, she was my special girl. Well, that does bring up a good point that all uh, vehicles like ships and boats mm-hmm. and cars, uh, they are female. They must be. Yeah. 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 So and when you are naming your vehicle. Unless it's a charger. I think it would still have to have. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, that's just tradition. That's true. It's, yeah. it's unlucky if you don't. I think. Really? I mean, that's that's what sailors are all about superstition, right? True. Sure. Yeah, somebody bring that up in 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 the on the internet for us. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that true? I'm making someone, it true right now. Yeah. Someone in chat, please look. <laughs> it was said in 2019. That means it is true. <laughs> Although um, I do name my I give my computers video game names. Oh. oh. Yes. Like when you like get the name your PC, like yeah, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, my laptop is Fenris, my desktop is Invictus after my after my default Canon from Dragon Age 2. Oh, nice. Cool. Um, and then my tablet is Warden. Ah, it's all DA2 stuff coming at you. Dragon and Age. Me, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Gosh, I, I gotta get back into those games. Yes, that one's yes, one of my do. favorites. It's my favorite. I'll fight someone over it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. I like the naming of your computer because you spend all your time with your computer, right? I mean, I do. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And my desktop, I most of my desktops I build, so I'm like, I've created you. I'm going to name you. <laughs> yeah. Data. I will name you Data or oh, Lore. Or no, nothing named Data or Skynet in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No. <laughs> I'm going to name my phone. By the end of this, I'm going to have a name for my phone. Ooh, good it idea. It should be Ruby. Because you have kind of a, or Rose Gold. Ooh. Yeah, there's some, some blingy something. Because Rose Gold kind of fits you. Yeah, thanks. I like that. Um, yeah, by the end of this. I'm going to have a name for her. Okay. I have, to, I have to wear it. I have to think about yeah. it and then have to sit with it a little bit. Sometimes that Can't works, right? make any right? rash decisions. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes those are the best ones, though. You end up going back to the first you know, thing you That's thought true. of you know, yeah. after you go. But you have to go through the exercise of naming it all at the end, right? So her name is Rose. Okay. Rose. But I'm going to think of other ones because of the Rose. She goal. might have a nickname. And also my other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dig it. I dig it. Um, so we, uh, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons, we had some fun announcements coming down, but we don't, not ready to really talk about them yet. Uh, so, uh, just know that there will be more news coming. Uh, it might be, and this is part of the reason why I was talking about vehicles and naming things. It might be nautical themed. You might guess that from the underwater combat thing we're talking about as well as, 
the Unearthed Arcana that is currently uh, in, in uh, getting feedback right now. Uh, I think it came out in December, but that was all about ships uh, and, and, and sea. So you might be seeing some triangulation. Also, the fact that Nathan and, and uh, Nathan Stewart and, and, and Kate Welch basically told us that it was going to be nautical themed. Okay, because I was like, are, what are you saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm just like uber hinting oh at this point. I'm like, more hints than are possible. I didn't uh, get the memo. Yeah, it's all out there. Check back uh, for future Dragon Talks and or on <laughs> DungeonsAndDragons.com for uh, any kind of real announcement uh, or on the D&D Twitter uh, and or Facebook as Satine uh, is, is, is want to post our announcements. It is known. It is known. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, I hope a lot of people play Dungeon Mayhem over the course of the holiday uh, as well as read ABCs and 123s of D&D to their kids. I know I did that nonstop. Uh, hopefully you played... Um, some Dungeons and Dragons, whether it was magic flavored with Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica or getting into the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, my, my player characters are only on like chapter two of Dragon Heist, so we still have yet <laughs> to get into uh, everything that's happening in Undermountain, but I can't wait. Well. I ran that at uh, Joe Manganello's birthday. Yeah? Yeah. How did it go? It was great. The first part took them two hours. It was like a little tiny corner of one floor. <laughs> And then the last part, they bypassed the entire thing, went straight to the bad guys somehow. They just made all the right decisions in the right directions. Uh, <laughs> it was like a crazy dungeon. And they just like, and then oh. Went, Zoop. Yeah. Like, right let's through. just take the side path. Oh, you found the boss. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I've done that with, like, gaseous form. Like, oh, let's just make everybody be in gaseous form. And then, oop, by the way, there's the big-ass dragon you have to fight. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. I would love to play with Joe. He seems like he's fun to hang out with. Yeah, he's super fun. Yeah. yeah. His it's cake like looked big, amazing. Oh, man. I did not see the cake. It's an Arkin cake. It was, <laughs> it was a large Arkin portrait 3D. Archon. 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 I always want to say Arkin. Arkin? But, like Alan Arkin, but no, it's <laughs> Archon. Yeah, so it was like this big dragon head, <laughs> oh almost life-size. And then he had this giant axe, and he cut the cake with the axe. It's on, I think, all of our Instagrams. <laughs> it's pretty intense. Yeah. It was a very Instagram-worthy moment. Yeah, a lot of fondant. Yes. I ate a lot of sugar that day. <laughs> all of the sugar. <laughs> so that's why you're on a cleanse. It all makes sense now. Actually, <laughs> that day, it was... <laughs> it was a yeah. big reason why. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get to our uh, amazing sage advice segment. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you will get... The uh, whisperings of Jeremy Crawford in my me in your ears for the next probably you know ninety five minutes, <laughs> and then we'll get to our interview with uh, uh, it me JP and Gassy Mexican, which is going to be fantastic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Sage Advice. Uh, that is where I speak to Jeremy Crawford. Hello, Jeremy. Hello there. About all of the fun uh, Dungeons & Dragons rules, uh, focusing in on a subject uh, that may have a lot of questions or you know have an interesting philosophy or design uh, behind. And I'm very excited to speak to Jeremy in 2019. I feel like we didn't get a chance to talk a lot. <laughs> Uh, for this segment in 2018, and so we're gonna we're gonna write that ship uh, by diving into 
underwater combat for this Ooh, for this topic. Nicely done. Yeah, yeah I was figuring we're going to be doing a lot of metaphors today about swimming, <laughs> diving in, plunging deep. I, these are all uh, uh, puns that will be made throughout this, this segment, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. And uh, in 2018, not only did you and I not get to talk a whole lot uh, on the podcast, but also the Sage Advice column on our website was on hiatus for a while, mm-hmm. uh, really just because I got too busy. Uh, but uh, people who follow Sage Advice will be glad to know that uh, this very month we'll be releasing an updated version of the Sage Advice Compendium Sweet. on our website uh, that not only includes answers to some new rules questions, uh, but also reflect some of the changes that we made recently in the errata to the core rulebook. Mm. So it brings the Sage Advice Compendium up to date uh, because since the errata, there have been some slight bits of disjointedness between what the core books now say and what the Sage Advice Compendium used to say, and now all of that will be cleared up. Okay, perfect. Awesome. And, uh, uh, you know, you were busy for working on all the uh, crazy amount of products uh, that we did for the, for, for the second half of, of 2018, and uh, that schedule continues apace in yes. 2019. Uh, so we're really excited about uh, all the stuff you're working on. But, uh, uh, you know, we might... Have a few hints in this topic. In fact, uh, I know uh, you know Kate and uh, Nate spoiled uh, that we're having a nautical-themed product uh, coming soon, and the most recent Unearthed Arcana also delves into a little bit of uh, uh, or you know, launched a few ships. Uh, you might say yes, um, yes, indeed. Uh, but today's topic on underwater combat, I don't think, is something that we've we've kind of touched on a, a, a lot. Uh, is we, that right? We haven't. Uh, I think we might have touched on some topics before that relate to it loosely, mm. uh, but we haven't we haven't dove in. <laughs> there it goes again. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't well, gotten our feet. We've got our feet wet, but now yes. we're gonna uh, yes. immerse ourselves in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, we're gonna do some laps in the underwater <laughs> combat pool. <laughs> All right. So start us off with the backstroke. Uh, how, how do we, how, you know. Where, where, where do we start with underwater combat? So I want to start with where do people find the rules for this? Because mm. there are actually some rules for you both in the Player's Handbook and in the Dungeon Master's Guide. The Player's Handbook gives you the basics of fighting underwater. But there are actually some framing rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide that are important for before that fight even starts. Mm. So if people uh, – if they hop into their Dungeon Master's Guides – and they take a look at Chapter 5, which is called Adventure Environments. There's a section in that chapter called Unusual Environments that has an entire section on adventuring underwater. You'll know you're in the right place because there's a big painting of an adventurer swimming underwater. She, found, she finds a treasure chest and is opening it up. Uh, and this section gives you a table for... Uh, underwater encounters, if you just want to roll up for what did we encounter while we were traveling under the sea. Right. But uh, even more importantly, and this is the part that uh, introduces underwater combat, there's a table in that section that gives suggested distances for starting an encounter underwater. Mm. We give on our Dungeon Master screen uh, starting distances for fights in other environments. So here in the DMG, we give you distances for, hey, if you're underwater and a fight starts, here's some suggestions for how far away you are 
uh, from your opponents when that fight starts. And this is taking things into account like visibility and, and whatnot. Right. Uh, we also, in that section of the Dungeon Master's Guide, give you some information on traveling by sea. Uh, we also give suggestions for visibility at sea, uh, which you can also use for figuring out if you're above water and you know sailing around on the surface, how far away you might be from maybe an opposing pirate ship when you first spot it. Uh, so we've got all of that for you uh, right right there in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which I which I often think of as our our treasure trove book that people are constantly rediscovering because we jam packed so many different things in there. I was going to say when you started to go through when when rules would be, I'm like, I bet he, it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide already. <laughs> I bet there is tons there yeah. uh, that you know you get questions on all the time and. I, I you know I following you on Twitter. I know there's always a ones like yes, it's right here. This is the rule. No questions needed because it's already been answered uh, in the Dungeon Master's Guide. But again, I have a lot of a lot of uh, patience about that. Partly because we did jam so much into this book uh, that it can sometimes be like wandering into this treasure compartment you discover hidden at the back of your house and like, oh my gosh, where did all this amazing stuff come from? And now I feel so inspired after looking at it and that type of thing. So I get that. So there's a little bit more actually about underwater stuff. Mm. If you flip earlier in that chapter, there's a section called Wilderness Hazards where we also give you the rules for frigid water uh, and also slippery ice and thin ice, all things that also can pertain to aquatic adventuring, fighting underwater, especially that bit on frigid water. If your right. character is stuck in super duper cold water and you might uh, be facing hypothermia. And I, mean, I assume levels of exhaustion would, would, mm-hmm. would come very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that is there for you in the DMG. But now let's say, okay, you've been swimming around and uh-oh, that shark is coming for you, or the again, or the Kraken, or the many, many other things that you can face in the deeps in Dungeons & Dragons. Because uh, that is one of the awesome things about D&D is we've got uh, critters for you to meet in pretty much any environment, whether it's far up in the sky, deep under the sea, uh, deep underground, in other planes of existence. And I think the creatures that you can meet underwater are often particularly horrifying because they can be so alien. Uh, They are often similar in some ways to the alien quality that we associate with aberrations. Mm. Um, Thinking of mind flayers, beholders. When you look at Sahuagin, Kuatoa, the number of the monsters associated with them, and even uh, creatures from our own world like sharks where they have these sort of these unreadable, almost dead-looking eyes, uh, there can be a horror uh, associated oh, with, with even, the deeps. Even just the idea of, like, rows and rows of teeth that are, like, you know, uh, uh, it just seems like something an alien designer would come up with, like an H.R. Geiger or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> right, it doesn't right. seem like it's real on them because they're so uh, such a prehistoric creature uh, uh, as far as uh, their development and evolution over time that it almost feels like you're looking into the past when you see uh, a, a creature that is uh, adapted for, for underwater combat in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are also, though, thankfully, uh, creatures you can meet underwater who might be your friends, uh, like the merfolk. Uh, they could be, you know, they could just as well be your foes if you piss them off. <laughs> uh, there are the marrow, uh, who probably more likely to be your enemies, uh, but still, you might be able to befriend them and get them to help you out yeah. uh, if you happen to be adventuring uh, underwater. Now, and again, I keep delaying 
getting to the combat itself because there's a lot more context there. Yeah. Exactly, because just being underwater so often brings with it issues of breathing, uh, you know, your your senses, these sorts of things. Typically, if characters are spending a lot of time deep underwater, they're doing so with the help of something like the water breathing spell or magic items that are giving them the ability uh, to breathe underwater. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have magical assistance or uh, you don't have the innate ability uh, to breathe underwater, as uh, some of the races in the game do and many of the creatures in the game do, well, then you can just rely on holding your breath. Right. <clears throat> and that's when you go to the suffocation rules in the player's handbook, uh, which are in the chapter uh, called Adventuring. And there, in a section called The Environment, right after the rules on falling, uh, we've got the rules on uh, suffocation. I'm not going to go into all the details there of suffocation. Just if, if anyone listening is unfamiliar with those rules – The main thing you want is a high constitution. The more constitution you have, the longer you're going to be able to hold your breath. And once you you stop being able to hold your breath, watch out because you're going to start suffocating and beware because then death is is approaching rapidly. What are the, the penalties for that? Just, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, okay. So you, having been myself, not having looked at this ahead of time, uh-huh. uh, but is it HP damage or does it go into exhaustion? So, so here's how it works. Any creature can hold its breath for a number of minutes equal to one plus its constitution modifier. Minimum of 30 seconds, we'd let you know uh, in the rules. When you run out of breath or if you're choking, because you can also use these rules for like, being choked, if yeah. like someone you know, grabs strangling you and is, you. is strangling you, you can survive for a number of rounds equal to your constitution modifier. And then at the start of your next turn – you drop to zero hit points and you are dying and you can't regain hit points or be stabilized until you can breathe again. Mm. So this is really dangerous. because yeah, because not even healing magic would be able to, yep. to help you then. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you really want to make sure you don't get to that point where you just instantly drop to zero. And that is drop to zero no matter how many hit points you have. Like theoretically, you can imagine – I mean this is not actually a thing. But you could have like 2,000 hit points. But if you reach this point, bam, zero hit points. Yes. And and you are now hurtling toward death. Now, does that work for uh, m- uh, monsters or, or enemy combatants, you know, that type this, of thing? This works for everything in the game. Mm. Uh, unless, unless it's a creature that uh, is somehow immune to suffocating. And there are actually a number of creatures in the monster manual that don't have to breathe. That's something that's called out. Usually in the text near the stat block of the creature, there's sometimes a, a section, like some constructs have it. Yeah. it. There'll be a little section that says constructed nature, and it will say this creature doesn't have to or breathe undead nature or, or sleep. Yeah. Yep, many undead have this ability. Yeah. So, you know, there you can have the creepy thing of, you know, undead sailors uh, just walking around on the bottom of the sea or inside a shipwreck that you've met, and they don't care about suffocating because – those creatures just don't have to breathe. But it's something that like uh, uh, a high hit point creature such as a Tarrasque or something like that, you might be able to, if you're taking away their air or, or somehow, yep. it might be a very mm-hmm. clever way for a party to not have to whittle away at something for 20 rounds, but yep. do it very quickly instead. Yeah, maybe a very, a very clever group could somehow try to transport 
whatever giant creature they're up against to the bottom of the sea and, and hope, hope they just hope it doesn't get up in (laughs) four rounds, you know? Right. Yeah. But it might have a high enough constitution that it could hold its breath long enough and, uh, and get to the surface in time. Uh, but yeah, I bet I'm sure someone listening has already tried this tactic, uh, with some ancient dragon or something else. And dungeon masters are shaking their fists. uh, (laughs) That's right. We gave away such a great, uh, great, great thing, but it's good to know that it works, uh, not only just for, for player, uh, for, for PCs, but for, for all uh, creatures in the game. That, that's absolutely right. And in fact, uh, any rule in the game that refers to just a creature, which is true for the suffocation rule, because it, it says when a creature runs out of breath, yeah. that rule applies to every single creature in the game. Unless, of course, a particular creature, again, has something built into its stats or its description uh, that lets it ignore that rule. Right. The exception-based uh, uh, nature of D and D. Absolutely. You goes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, where? So say you're underwater. Mm-hmm. You have uh, a magic item or something like that that allows you to breathe underwater, so you don't have to worry about suffocating. Do arrows work? Well, before we get to that, okay, we're going to keep delaying the start of the fight. Dang There's it. also the question of movement. Oh yeah, and sight. I guess is also another thing we should. Touch yeah. On before so we get there. so we touch on. Um, that sort of visibility a bit when it comes to encounter distance in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Right. Uh, otherwise, sight works underwater like everywhere else where really you're just concerned about is it dim light, is it bright light? And then the rules tell you, again, in the player's handbook in the section on adventuring, what happens uh, in dim lit situations versus um, – Areas that are totally obscured versus areas that are bright. What are the effects on your vision and whatnot? Are there um, qualifications in there as far as like depth of water? So like, you know, I mean, I would assume once you go 100 feet down, you're going to always be in dim light unless you have some kind of other light source. So, so we, we don't get that specific. Right. Um, part, partly because D&D adventure environments can, just like our rules, be so exceptional. Yeah. Uh, because you might go you know, hundreds of feet below water, but you might be, you know, near an underwater city where it's actually... It's uh, bright enough. It's bright enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, if anyone has seen the recent Aquaman movie uh, and there's a visit to Atlantis in the film, that place is super bright. Right. Uh, and... Uh, uh, so you leave that to the Dungeon Master to still kind of determine whether it's dim light or not. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, just like we don't, we don't tie... Uh, light levels to different altitudes or anything like that yeah. uh, uh, outside of an underwater environment. Makes uh, sense. Uh, so for the typical creature moving around underwater, and this is important both in and outside of combat, if you don't have a swim speed of some kind, whether it's innate to you or you have it because of a magic item or a spell, every foot you move underwater costs you an extra foot. Or another way of saying that is you move at half speed. So most people are going to be slowed down swimming around. Mm -hmm. But again, many creatures in the game and people who have uh, special abilities get a swim speed that lets them move uh, sometimes even faster than they could move uh, walking around on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that also... uh, that difference between creatures with a swim speed and creatures without can lead fights underwater sometimes to being uh, especially scary because most of the things you're going to fight underwater have swim speeds, right. meaning they're way faster than you. They are adapted for that type of combat specifically. Yeah, and so they're often 
uh, let's say you're like, all right, we've got to get away from these guys, and you're, you know, dog paddling. <laughs> 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 like this chase scene is real short. Uh, yeah, they're gonna come up any. Oh, uh, we're dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here comes Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that is a big consideration uh, in underwater combat is how fast can you move right. and. So if you're going to be doing a lot of underwater combat, it's good for you to search for something, whether, again, it's a spell, a magic item, or something else in the game that's going to help you move faster uh, when you're underwater. Once you're actually fighting, there are a couple of different rules uh, that you need to account for, and these are all right here in the underwater combat section of the player's handbook. Mm -hmm. The biggie, and it's funny, I'm actually I'm going to go over the rules in reverse of how we presented them in the book. Because it is actually funny, uh, and this is on me, we presented the rule that applies to everybody, and it's really important, as the very last sentence of the underwater combat rules. <laughs> and that is, creatures and objects that are fully immersed have resistance to fire damage. This, huh. this applies to everybody and everything underwater. Uh, you have resistance to fire damage. Uh, so, you know, this is even true if you're not, let's say, under the sea or at the bottom of a lake. Imagine you're in a fight with an enemy wizard uh, in a dungeon and you're in a room where there might be a great pool of water. Mm. If you're worried that that guy is going to cast fireball on the party, maybe on your turn you might want to hold your breath and dunk yourself fully into that pool because just by doing that you just gave yourself resistance to fire damage. So nice. that's a that's a nice uh a bit of uh, sort of tactical optimization that I think uh, people uh, often don't account for. Or let's say you're going up against a a red dragon. Try to face that red dragon somewhere where there's a body of water where you like on when it's not your turn. You're underwater. Uh, now, granted, the dragon will come probably come crashing down into that lake and start clawing you and biting you to death. Uh, but at least you might uh, mitigate uh, the damage you're taking from its terrifying breath weapon. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I also bring this up first because one of the questions I've often gotten uh, over the last four years is, does a spell like Fireball work underwater? Yeah. The answer is yes. Uh, our Our rule about fire damage here, that's how we account for fire underwater, that you have resistance to it. Uh, and, you know, people often wonder, well, why does a fireball work underwater? Well, first off, fire uh, with enough power and explosive force in our own world can occur underwater. It doesn't last. Right. Uh, but uh, the heat can still be very harmful. Uh, but ultimately for us, we don't have to worry too much about physics because we can just, you know, nod our hat towards It's magic. It's magic. Yeah. And magic in D&D does all sorts of things that would be impossible uh, for how we understand physics in our world. Right, but our magic system doesn't necessarily say that uh, uh, just being immersed in water doesn't mean fire spells can't exist. Exactly. What we just say is you have resistance to fire damage. Right. Um, what this also means, and one of the reasons why we have this approach, is we don't want our DMs and players to need to have degrees in physics to adjudicate how magic works in our game. Yeah. You can simply run spells th as they are written in every environment in the game, and we'll let you know in the rules if there's some kind of modification in a particular environment for how a spell works. And we do exactly that in our underwater combat rules by telling you people have resistance to fire damage when they're fully underwater. 
Now, does that, I mean, I'm just going to run through a few common things you probably have answered many times in the past, but say, I mean, fireball makes sense to me because there's a point of, of light that, go, or, you know, that goes out and then it explodes, right? right. That's similar to like a torpedo or something like mm-hmm. that, so that can make sense to me. Um, but something like, um, uh, what is the cleric spell that's the divine uh, radio? Flame strike. Flame strike. Uh-huh. Uh, that comes from the heavens. When you're 300 feet underwater... Oh, it's going to be spectacular. Does it still come from the heavens? We could imagine that thing whooshing down through the depths uh, and, and imagine how that will look, seeing that light glittering through the water. So, yeah, watch still out, works. buddy. Still works. <laughs> yep. How about like a meteor storm or something like that? One of those, one of those spells that also it, – it, so, the, 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 the layer of uh, water that could potentially act as a buffer – we don't account for. So some of our spells, especially high-level spells, do specify that they come from someplace in the sky. So yeah. you do have to account for that if the spell talks about that. Oh, okay. So if a spell says, hey, this is up in the sky and then it you know, comes down a certain range, uh, you, you still have to account for that. It's still, you know, we, we, when we use English words in our rules, unless we tell you they mean something different, they, they still mean what they mean. So if a spell says it comes from the sky, that means the sky. Uh, and, and as opposed to, you know, just in a shallower portion of the ocean or right. wh- wh- whatever underwater environment uh, that you're in. Uh, but as long as you follow what the spell says, you know, like, sure, conjure up that wall of fire uh, underwater. And as long as the spell doesn't say it must be supplied by, you know, a a steady stream of oxygen out in open air, mm-hmm. it works underwater because right. what's supplying the fuel is the magic. It's not wood you're feeding to it or coal or or oxygen. It's magic t- itself. And you can, you know, as a dungeon master say like, oh, it's burning uh, uh, magically and then it's creating steam, which can also, uh, you know, you, know, it, and, you can make it look like it, it, it would underground, but having the idea that it is a magical effect that is feeding it. Right. And here's the thing. DMs can decide how far they want to go with physical after effects when it comes to spells. If a DM doesn't want to be bothered with how fire affects water in the real world and whatnot, DMs, don't worry about it. Uh, just do what the spell says but, hey, if you're a DM where you actually are familiar with how different, different elements affect other, other environments in our real world and you want to spice up your descriptions in D&D with that knowledge, also go for it. Yeah. This so often goes back to our principle in D&D of follow your bliss at your table. Uh, and please don't, uh, don't oppress yourself thinking you need to take something on that you're not equipped for. Or that there is one right way to, to – to, I mean even you know, Jeremy Crawford's opinion about these rules is very much Jeremy Crawford's opinion about these rules. Right, exactly. Well, ultimately, the, the final arbiter at any D&D table is the DM. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully every DM is making choices that uh, are the most fun for the particular table the DM is, is uh, DMing for that day. Got it. Uh, and so, then, so if, if you have a group that just glories in, you know, the steam effects of fire on X amount of water, dive right in. <laughs> <laughs> but don't get scalded by all that boiling water. 
<laughs> well, all right. So I'm still going to pester you with more questions about oh, specific do. things. Um, so you, we mentioned casting spells. You can do that underwater. Yep. I'm assuming that that means that uh, any kind of somatic components are just as effective underwater as they would be um, and that, above water. That you anticipated, as you so often do on our show. Uh, one of the next things I was going to co- bring up, which is not actually addressed directly in the underwater combat rules, but I get asked often when it mm-hmm. comes to spell casting, is can people cast a spell underwater that has a verbal component? Mm-hmm. Uh, because people are worried, you know, does the water muffling my voice so that it's impossible for me to articulate the spell? Here's the thing. What we tell you in the rules on verbal components is that you are creating a certain set of sounds that are crucial for the magic to take effect. Similar to, you know, if it's a somatic component, you're making certain gestures. Uh, and then if it's a material component, you're providing material right. uh, that the spell uses. When it comes to those verbal components, they do work underwater. Nowhere in the rules do we tell you they don't. And one thing that people don't realize is that sound absolutely carries underwater. I mean, this is, this is why things like sonar work uh, and uh, – and why you can hear whale song very far away. It's why I can understand what my friend says when we both go underwater and yell at each other. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. It might be distorted, but that distortion doesn't affect the casting of a spell. Exactly. Because the spell's magic doesn't rely on other people's ability to hear those sounds. The spell's magic relies on you producing those sounds. Uh, now... One thing I've talked about on Twitter is that if a person is talking underwater, they're not holding their breath. Mm. Uh, And this is something the rules don't really get into, but it's the kind of uh, thing that a DM uh, might want to keep an eye on is, you know, if a person's concentrating on holding their breath because they can't breathe underwater, but now they suddenly are talking into the water, well, they're not holding their breath anymore. And so you might now in the suffocation rules, tick over to, whoops, yeah. you've ran out of your held breath, and so now we're ticking down toward dying. Right. And there's no specific guidelines in that, but you could reduce it by a few rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, say they, they have a, a, a high constitution modifier, say four, you know, if you cast a spell, that's reduced to two. Sure. That type you, of thing. You could do that or just say, whoop, you stopped nope. holding your breath. It's and, done. And now the that death timer is is started. That sounds like something you would do, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I am, it's funny, I am actually a pretty lenient DM. Yeah. Um, I would, I, my style as DM too would be usually to telegraph that people were going to be spending a bunch of time underwater mm-hmm. so that they would at Get least have the chance to prepare for it. Uh, because, you know, if, if the wizard, for instance, uh, casts water breathing, well, then that's, it's not a problem because yeah. uh, uh, the wizard uh, is able to breathe just fine underwater and talking to do a verbal component will have, you know, no effect on them when it comes to surviving. Right. Now, uh, now I would, though, uh, have the death clock start if a group receiving those warnings like, hey – you guys are going to go down to this crashed ship 100 feet underwater and you might be there for a while. And if the group stubbornly refuses to prepare in any way, mm. that is when I enjoy as a DM exploring consequence. <laughs> <laughs> Every action has a consequence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, whereas if let's say there's a surprise 
situation. And there was no way for the group to prepare for a dangerous suffocation situation. I tend uh, to either be lenient or provide some way in that environment itself for them to save themselves. Like it could be there's a giant clam in the area that's emitting big bubbles of water. Oh, man. That's a World of Warcraft reference there if I've ever seen one. (laughs) You got it, man. Yes. Yes. Uh, That they could go stand in and breathe from the... Breathe for a little bit. Get that that, that breathing timer back up. (laughs) Yes. Yes, well done. Yeah, you caught that. I knew exactly. I was like, yes. oh, yeah, the, the clamshell that for some reason has air that comes out of it, which I never really quite understood. But, yes, yep. You know, because clams are known for having oxygen stored in them that they, you know, dispel out it's, when they're expelled. It's out. magic, man. It's, it's magic. magic. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that totally makes sense. That's when you would, would punish them. Uh, but then going back to spellcasting for, for a, a second, uh, we talked about the verbal component. You know, uh, the somatic component. You're, you're, if you're moving at half speed, would your arms move at half speed if you're trying to move underwater? Our, our movement rules don't get that specific. Uh, we don't make any kind of specifications about how quickly you move your arms or your fingers. And so we assume you can still make the somatic components, particularly because we're usually imagining that it's you twiddling your fingers. Uh, and you might be doing it a little more slowly, but not so much that it would inhibit your spell casting. Okay, good. That's, yeah. that's important to note. Um, Now, we are generous about a lot of this because we want you to go adventuring in cool environments. So it would in a way be counterproductive for us to make the rules super duper punishing to people to go underwater because then basically for a lot of groups, they would just be like, we're not going to go down there. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're a spellcasting heavy group, it's like, well, we would never do that because we can't use – half of the things that make our fantasy feel fun. Right. So why bother? Right. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Now, with weapon attacks, yes. it does get trickier. Okay. And so let's go back to the underwater combat rules in the player's handbook. There, because you asked earlier, can I fire an arrow yes. underwater? We address that. So if you make a ranged weapon attack underwater, it automatically misses beyond the weapon's normal range. Oh, okay. So, for, so anyone who, who, who doesn't remember or maybe you normally play spellcasters and you don't know how weapons work, uh, our ranged weapons uh, in the game have two ranges. There's their first range, which is called their normal range, and then they have a second number, which is their long range. And a lot of monster stat blocks have these two ranges as well for their ranged weapon attacks. Anything beyond that long range, you just simply can't hit. It's out of range for that weapon. But anything between the normal range and the long range, you can fire at it, but you have disadvantage on your attack roll. Uh, And then anything within the normal range, the first number, you just make an attack roll as normal. So what what the underwater combat rules are telling us is underwater basically lops off your weapon's long range. Your weapon just has its normal range. Right, and it's, it's, it just, you automatically miss if you try to go after that. Exactly, right. uh, because, because the water basically is going to slow down. You know, when you fire off your longbow, yeah. uh, that arrow just is not going to get as far as it would uh, in the air. Uh, now here's, it, gets, it gets a little rougher, too, for ranged weapon attacks. Even against a target within normal range, you have disadvantage on the roll. So suddenly it's like the, that rule that normally applies to long range is now applying to now normal applies range. to normal range. But there is a way around this. 
uh, that disadvantage for normal range. And that is if you use a crossbow. Uh, and, and I would, by the way, apply this to really any ranged weapon that, that relies on some kind of mechanism to provide the force. Mm. So, for instance, if people were using our firearms rules from the Dungeon Master's Guide, I would also apply this uh, to the firearms. Uh, you also... Um, because it's Don't. a magical effect, so it's still it's a magical <laughs> firearm, right? Sure, that's the black powder. We've kind of said that it's uh, well. Actually, not, we have we have firearms in the DMG that are just firearms. Oh, okay, it's not yeah. the the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, uh, and we also in the DMG we have laser guns. Uh, so <laughs> we have a variety of firearms. Those definitely work underwater. Yes. Uh, okay, I, so yeah, so anything that has a mechanism that allows the projectile to go forward, and and that but this is an example of me saying, hey DMs, I recommend that you you apply this rule more broadly. Because mm. in the pH, it just says crossbow. Uh, but really, the intent here is something with a mechanism that's firing, as opposed to relying on your own, your own strength, like with a, a longbow or a shortbow. Okay. Uh, nets are also accepted from this, although nets have other issues because you almost always have disadvantage when you're using a net anyway. Uh, or a weapon that is thrown like a javelin. So a spear, a trident, or a dart. Mm -hmm. uh, those also are accepted from this. Now let's talk about melee weapon attacks. Can I go back one more time? Though? Yeah. Because is there any um, damage uh, reduction associated with it at all? There isn't. Uh, so for yeah, ranged weapon attacks, the only thing that's being affected is your range uh, and your accuracy. Mm -hmm. But if you actually manage to hit, it's still going to do as much damage as it would normally. Okay. Uh, it's just harder to hit. Even though the thought that like a fletching of an arrow might actually slow down enough so that, yes, you hit the target, but it just wasn't strong enough to, to hit. I, I know. <laughs> but we, we just abstract that away uh, by – so it – and in D&D, actually, this abstraction is all over the place when it yeah. comes to the combat rules because the combat rules – and this goes all the way back, pardon me, to first edition – they assume you actually are hitting way more than the dice say you are, but that your other hits, the ones we basically don't talk about in the narrative of the game, mm -hmm. are not uh, strong enough or telling enough to do significant damage that is worth talking about in the game or that is relevant to the system. So you're assuming if you, even if you hit at a disadvantage <clears throat> under normal range – you just happen to hit at a joint of the of the armor rather than enough force to puncture through that armor. Exactly. So D&D most of the time is basically – it's like a story that is mostly just zeroing in on those story beats that matter. You mm -hmm. can – like just like we don't dwell too much in D&D about people going to the bathroom, uh, we, we don't – Is that in the DMG? <laughs> <laughs> Our combat rules don't dwell on like glancing blows – uh, you know that kind of thing. because it's, and 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 uh, you know uh, experienced dungeon masters can can uh, you know describe a miss as oh you hit the armor and it just glances off anyway but right. it's not necessarily like everything shoots all over their heads or something right. like that and but yeah the idea in D and D unless something has resistance mm -hmm. or some other rule intervenes and messes with the damage in some way that. If you've managed to hit, mm -hmm. it's a telling blow. It, right. it is a blow that is worth spending a moment on in the game and dealing damage and, and whatnot. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, uh, so you're going to say about weapon attacks then? Uh, melee weapon attacks. Right. Um, so if you make a melee weapon attack underwater and you don't have a swimming speed, here's another place where swimming speed makes a difference. You have disadvantage on the attack roll. 
unless you're using a dagger, a javelin, a short sword, a spear, or a trident. These are all basically thrusting weapons. Uh, now, you can ignore all of this if you have a swimming speed. Uh, and it's worded this way so that uh, fish and other creatures that have swimming speeds don't all have disadvantage underwater. Got it. This means that as the instant you have a swimming speed, which basically represents you moving with a kind of fluidity underwater, you don't have to worry about this rule. But if, again, you're underwater and you don't have a swimming speed and you're trying to make melee attacks, you're going to have disadvantage on your attack rolls unless you're using one of the thrusting weapons listed in the player's handbook. Okay. Because think about it. Like if you're swing, trying to swing around in an arc a slashing weapon, the water's going to slow you down. Uh, now, someone could reasonably ask, why does, have a, why does having a swimming speed affect how well you swing that sword? Again, we're just abstracting away that the swimming speed represents not only your not only your ability to to move x number of feet underwater but also represents a fluency with being underwater yeah uh, because it's an adaptation ab- and, a, and a, like a, a confidence and a, and a and a you know feeling at home under the water that is abstracted and, and made sense here exactly yeah exactly yeah i get that and and honestly the specificity of listing out these weapons uh is an odd bit of detail for the fifth edition rules mm. uh we don't do this kind of thing elsewhere this it is funny i've often thought of our underwater combat rules as uh it's almost like a ghost hanging out from a previous edition uh because previous editions of DD tended to have this kind of specificity right uh it's quite likely that if i were designing these rules today i would make them a little simpler uh because I personally, and it's, again, I can only have myself to blame for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of this specific, like, listing out of things because it, it forces people to remember it. Yeah. Uh, and especially for a rule that you almost never use, it's kind of like, oh, God. I, have I to- mean, when you were saying that, I was almost like, isn't that just every piercing weapon? It, it could have been. Uh, that right. would be one way for I us mean, to do it. A short sword, things like anything right. like that would fall under the the spirit of what that rule is is, right. is doing by listing that out. Yeah, and there are a variety of ways that we could approach this uh, that would be easier for people to use and remember. Yeah, and then if you were using that, you could almost say that like, oh, if you can use an arrow or anything that you would, you know, uh, obviously <clears> piercing <throat> is is in the arrow thing, but like you know, any kind of it's the motion, it's the it's the the intent behind the rule uh, yeah. that could that could get out there. And and the thing is. There was already a nod in the rules to DMs approaching a rule like this with flexibility because when you go to our improvised weapon rule, Mm -hmm. we already tell you, hey, DMs, if you want, you can consider all sorts of things to essentially count as another thing. You know, like we tell you, hey, DM, if a person tears off a chair leg and whacks somebody with it, if you want, you can treat it like a club. Mm. Or, you know, if maybe someone takes an iron poker out of the fireplace and strikes somebody with it, you might you, you might treat it like a short sword or mm. a dagger. Uh, we already say, hey, DMs, basically make, make rules calls on the fly that feel natural for the narrative, that interface well with the player character's abilities. So I would, I would say people don't be afraid to take 
these underwater combat rules and extrapolate from them okay. uh, and simplify them uh, a- as you like. Can I ask an extrapolating question? <clears throat> sure. So uh, unarmed combat in underwater, uh-huh. how does the monk's abilities uh, interact with that? Because I, 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 I'm not sure how, how I would adjudicate it based on that. So, so unarmed strikes count as melee weapon attacks. And so uh, your unarmed attacks would fall under this rule that unless you have a swimming speed, your attack rolls have disadvantage. Okay. Uh, so hey, monk. Get a swimming speed <laughs> or a spell, you know, that, that gives it to you, and you'll be fine. But otherwise, you're at disadvantage with every uh, yeah, flurry you, of blows you, you do. Yeah, as you try to slowly punch uh, underwater. <laughs> you have that, that visual of just like, <laughs> oh, I can't uh, get the force, maybe, you know, and it's much. Uh, doing it with disadvantage is perfect because it just means you're just going to hit less. Yes, exactly. Uh, this is another way, too, for us to make underwater combat scary uh, in a neat way because, you know, again, if you're up against a bunch of creatures that have swimming speeds, mm-hmm. they're going to be way more accurate than you are if you don't have a swimming speed. Uh, and Or, again, unless you're using one of these weapons that gets around uh, this problem. Right. Uh, and so that's another thing that people can do, including a monk, is if they're going to go underwater and there's no way for them to get a swimming speed, at least equip themselves uh, with these weapons. Get yourself a trident. Absolutely. It's the only way you're going to be able to, to get through anything. Yep. If Aquaman has taught us anything, that's, that's, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, as well as how to lift, apparently. Um, so, he, all right. He is kind of built. He is. <laughs> all of the, I haven't seen the movie yet, but all of the posters and the trailers, I'm always like, oh, man, that, he just gets bigger and bigger. Every, every... <laughs> He's going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> I swear those are just balloons. They're not. They're not right. right. Um, I have seen the movie, by the way, and it is big fun. It is? Yes. It, Good. Uh, the way I've described it to people, it is. it is is very dumb but very fun. I, I think that's been the, the, the common review has been like, it's no, don't expect uh, a thinking person's uh, action film, but uh, go in and enjoy it. Yeah, and, and for, for D&D fans and anyone who's a fan of, uh, you know, just all the nerdy things we love, yeah. there are so many fun bits. I mean, I, I can tell you this and it doesn't really spoil much, but like, you know, you're going to see dinosaurs in this movie. You're going to see a kaiju in this movie. What? Uh, you're going to see creatures that are basically straight out of uh, the shadow of her Innsmouth from, you know, Lovecraft's oh, work. Oh, wow. All right, interesting. And, and they even, it's early in the movie, they even actually tip you off that there's going to be something Lovecraftian in the film because there's an early shot in the movie. And if you look in the foreground, there's a copy of The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft no, right there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, and they travel to a bunch of different underwater cities. There are crab people. There are like mer people. I'm sure there are people who uh, uh, watched that movie and then wanted to uh, run a and D combat underwater. And yep. so this this topic is perfect, and uh, um, you know, it's, it's very topical. And and the thing I love about that movie, if anyone is thinking about running, uh, even. An, either one adventure or an entire campaign underwater is that that movie shows what a rich adventuring environment uh, the ocean can be. Right. Uh, Because the movie shows all of these different environments and cultures and monsters. Uh, So I think, hey, if if people, if you're thinking of doing, 
you know, an undersea campaign, check out Aquaman uh, for some fun ideas. Nice. And then, of course, uh, check out all of these uh, sections of the rules that we've been outlining as well as, uh, you know, up- upcoming things. Yes. And and uh, not only uh, uh, the Player's Handbook and the DMG, but also check out the Monster Manual because we have not only – uh, monsters like you know the Kraken and uh, the Sahuagin and others that I've mentioned uh, in this show. But if you go to the back of the monster manual, we also have the stats for a number of aquatic animals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sharks, etc. And we've introduced other aquatic creatures in our later monster books as well, uh, both uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters right. and Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. Are there any rules in there for baby shark? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Not specifically. Darn it! Yes. All right, good. I'm hoping I at least got a uh, 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 shaking of fists from all the parents out there when I just did that. Uh, any other kind of underwater combat topics do you think uh, come up uh, before we close this out? Uh, those I, I touched on all the biggies because the ones that come up most often are verbal components, uh, operation of fire. Um, I would also say, by the way, actually, there is another topic having to do with spells because mm-hmm. another thing that often comes up are uh, spells that deal lightning damage because, ah. you know, people often want the electricity to start conducting through the water. The old Final Fantasy fans are like, if I have electricity, it does double damage. Right, right. Yeah. Or or anyone who's played, uh, you know, like Divinity Original Sin mm-hmm. where, you know, you can get him in a puddle. Uh, and yep, then, yep, yep, yep. Uh, so the D&D rules do not have any special rules for using lightning damage underwater. This is another area where DMs just sort of follow your bliss. If you just want to run the spells as written and not have them affected in any way by being underwater, other than, again, this one rule about resistance to fire damage, just run the spell as written and don't worry about it. That lightning bolt spell can just work the same way underwater. It works everywhere else. If... You and your group, again, like this idea of uh, sort of deep environmental effects, uh, then you can explore things like electricity, uh, conducting more, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and the problem and with that, though, is it opens up so many more questions and problems because you're like, all right, well, if – Physics-wise, I'm not no expert, but I'm pretty sure if you cast something that has a lightning bolt underwater, everyone will be affected by – it, the it, electricity damage in it, that case, yeah, not it, just one target. And and that is – that can of worms is why the yeah. rules just ignore it. And it's – and again, philosophically is why our magic in general ignores physics mm. uh, because we don't want you to have to – change how spells work environment after environment after environment because it's not just underwater where where this could suddenly be the case. I mean if we wanted to get really fussy, we could suddenly start dealing with things like how much particulate matter is in the air in this particular place <laughs> and when you cast fireball, does it ignite, you know? Right, or if it's an oxygen-rich environment, yeah. do they do more damage? And you're yeah. like, oh gosh, you can't, yeah. it's too much. Unless, again, it's for a particular group, it's not because, hell, you're, if DM, if you're a physicist or, or you're, just, you're a physics buff and your group loves this kind of detail – I mean it. Follow your bliss. Yeah. Enjoy it. But everyone else, don't feel like you need to because the rules are written uh, with just this notion that magic is truly wondrous and supernatural, yeah. that it functions in ways beyond how nature uh, works, at least how we understand it to work. I mean, that that is part of what makes it magical. Yeah, exactly. Magic isn't meant to simply be a 
a way to just sort of replicate uh, what we can do with technology. Like yeah. even even a spell like Fireball, people will often think of it as like an explosion, like a grenade or something. But you don't have to imagine it that way. Yeah. It really could just – you could imagine it as – and I've, in fact, over the years, I've sometimes even described it thus as a momentary tear in existence and a bit of the plane of fire is basically mm. – you know, rushing into the area. And it might have absolutely nothing to do with how fire normally works and, you know, how fire normally works with an environment that it is purely uh, this billowing out of magical energy that sort of has taken the form of fire. Right. uh, But doesn't necessarily behave the way fire works in our world. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, So one final question, since I just happened to glance over to chat and I saw it. Um, c- casting fly while you're underwater it gives you a flying speed, but that does not give you a swim speed. I'm I'm assuming so. Then- that that is correct. A flying speed is separate from a swimming speed. Uh, you need that flying speed for the air. It's not going to help you uh, uh, swim around. Yeah, and uh, it, so it doesn't. <clears throat> you know, your movement. You can't just fly through the through the three dimensions of the underwater. Well. Here is, if you would. here is the thing I would say, and in fact, I think we've actually talked about this before on this very show. Imagine, though, a creature that doesn't have a walking speed or a swimming speed but does have a flying speed. Yeah. In that case, you can use that speed to move around underwater, but it will be halved as normal okay. uh, because, again, the rule is – Essentially, if you use any speed other than a swimming speed underwater, every foot you move costs an extra foot. So I'll actually flip it around. From that standpoint, yes, you can use a flying speed underwater. Oh, okay. But it's just – it's going to be halved. It's going to be half speed. Yeah. Right. Yep. Which kind of makes sense because you know, at least it might be advantageous for some players because sometimes flying speeds are, are, are higher sure. than, than mm-hmm. a, a swim speed might be uh, depending on what spell you've got prepared yep. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, what about climbing underwater cliffs? Still halved. Uh, uh, so the climbing rule is when you climb something, uh, each you know each foot you move costs an extra foot. But at that point, then you just have to decide: Am I climbing up it or am I going to swim up? Uh, and it's going to be the same speed. Uh, so, I mean, I think it would be f- more fun to just swim up beside the cliff. Well, I mean, that's you. I mean, I, li- <laughs> I like climbing uh, underwater. That's part of my thing. Yeah, uh, my yeah. underwater cliff climbing uh-huh. that I've been doing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Well, I'm sure there's a couple other uh, uh, exceptions and corner cases that we weren't able to cover here, but I think that was a really good overview for anyone who uh, is inspired by the you know last month's uh, Unearth Arcana or Aquaman or any other uh, uh, you know piece of content that uh, shows off underwater combat and uh, how you can do it in D anD. Yeah, which which may or may not be relevant for an upcoming book. May or may not be. Let's let's. I think it's may not at this point. <laughs> I mean, that's silly. How can people, uh, you know, if they have more questions now, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way is to reach out to me on Twitter, where I am Jeremy E Crawford, and the E stands for Eric. Excellent. Uh, that's what I thought the E stood for. Uh, but no, Eric. Eric is good. Uh, thank you so much. I'm glad uh, to be able to talk to you again about uh, these rules, and we'll be doing more of that in 2019. Outstanding. Always Excellent. great to be here. Thanks. Man, Jeremy knows so much. It is all in his head. It's ready to go. It's at a moment's notice. I like pulling those threads and getting them out of, 
of him. I have so much to learn. Yes, exactly. But hopefully <laughs> after listening to that, you can, you can, you know, now fight underwater. Yeah. When, yeah. when people accost you. <laughs> I mean, water deep, you never know what'll happen. It will. It will. Exactly. Speaking of, uh, Rivals Water Deep is starting uh, very soon. Yeah. January 20th, we come back for season three with uh, Sharif Jackson at the helm. So we're all kind of rotating out who GMs. And I'm really excited because prior to Stream Many Eyes, Brandon and Sharif had not played. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations yeah. to him for, you know, believing in himself and uh, taking that plunge. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I love that you guys are going to start that rotating. So when are you, you going to DM? Are you going to do season, next seasons, maybe? We'll see. A <laughs> little, little bit of imposter syndrome. Maybe <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> That's, you gotta learn by doing. Take that's that plunge. Right. That's that's really it. Oh, I will. And and I I say that now. Is, and then I probably be like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. But I am a very much GM on the fly kind of person. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that would work out with like how we kind of have done the show so far. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't can't uh, uh, figure that out until you try. Oh, yeah. I I don't plan any. I, I stopped. <laughs> I was planning. just gonna say. Oh, really? Like, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not even kidding. This last episode of Sirens, nothing. I just brought the the terrain, brought like um, dungeon mayhem, and then just it's like okay, you're in the yawning portal. Let's do this on the. And it was all on the fly. And oh, sometimes wow. those Made can be the characters. most you know vivacious episodes because everybody's improving, everybody's making stuff up as they go along, and not trying to you know. I mean, not all dungeon masters are you know railroady or anything like that, but like you're not. You don't have a set narrative that you're trying to get to. Yeah. It can yeah. be almost more freeing if you're just like, I don't know. Who's yeah. Like, I have a goal, but then I kind of just see where the players go for the show that I GM. Yeah. And then Christina Ariel is on that show. The Star Trek show? Yeah. Yes. And she, like, almost got eaten by a carnivorous bunch of tentacles. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to come in with it. And I was like, no. Because <laughs> well, I'm looking at her character sheet, and then the, the basically it's supposed to be a boss creature. And I'm like, ooh. Oh, I, I, well... There, there will be communing. I'm not sure it'll be both ways, though. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a thing. So, uh, thanks to my player, Sharif is also on that show. Yeah. So Sundays is basically just tabletop day in my place. So. I, I love uh, that uh, so many of those cast members have just jumped into yeah. to this kind of storytelling. Yeah, it's, and it's, uh, shout out to the other folks, uh, Dungeon Commander DC and a Misty Imperial Girl. Nice. Because I was like, do you want to be on a show, LGM? Like, okay, sure. <laughs> Make it happen. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, when is, is that show currently we have weekly two right now? episodes yet left. Nice. So I think we're going to try to actually do episode while I'm here. Ooh, nice. Um, and then we'll have one more because we're doing a 10 episode, not counting Session Zero. I'm run. excited about uh, Star Trek Discovery, so I'm getting all into Star Trek again. So oh, I'm going to nice. start watching your show. Yeah. Okay. Everything is on, uh, everything's on YouTube as well. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks for dropping by. Oh, uh, no uh, thanks for we me. are going to take a little break here and get to our interview so we can listen to that. Everybody ready? Let's call up uh, um, uh, uh, JP and uh, Max. Uh, so we have JP. Hi, how's it going? It's going, man. Thanks again for having us on the show. No problem. And Max Gonzalez. Hello, Max. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, and uh, it's, it's me, Greg Tito, and uh, Satine Phoenix. Hi, hi. Um, so, uh, we've spoken to, uh, JP, uh, before about, uh, all everything role play as well as, uh, uh, dungeon master Adam Coble, but, uh, Max, we, I don't think we've, we've chatted with you, uh, in the past. So, uh, why don't you start us off by just talking about what your Dungeons and Dragons, uh, history was, it was the first time you played with, with these guys or, or, or did you have a history before that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different case with, I feel like, a lot of uh, people. Um, a late bloomer, as it were, in, mm -hmm. in terms of D&D. &D. Um, yeah, I didn't play it when I was younger. Um, one, because I didn't have friends that want it. That sounds so horrible. I, did, I didn't have friends. No. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, man. That's all of us. That's all of us at some point. I didn't have friends that, uh, that played it, right? And, and I knew of it like as an entity, as a thing that people play, but I didn't know the specifics of it and how cool it was. If I did know, I would have been all about it because then later on, the first um, actual kind of role-playing game that I started with was Pathfinder, which wasn't, uh, you know, similar, but um, I started with that and then shortly played that as like an off, um, a, uh, it's like, you know, homebrew kind of thing, uh, mm -hmm. just casually playing at the table. But then JP and them um, invited me on to, uh, what was that? My marches, right. And I was able to play a wacky little wizard on there. And I got a little taste of, of like proper, you know, role play D and D with people who know what they're doing and all that stuff. And, and from then on, it was just, it was an addiction, you know, it was super, super, uh, my thing because, uh, even as a kid, like I, I grew up doing voices and imitating different characters and stuff like that, just to fill my own boredom, you know, as a, as a child. So it was it was a good fit, and then the rest kind of is history. That's a real kind of condensed uh, version of it. But yeah, now I just I joined this guy, and it's been a it's been a crazy <laughs> journey. He it brought you so along. Like, oh God, we're still doing this with him. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, no it it's been uh it's been a different story. I, I, it's always interesting to hear uh, for me too personally, like how people get into D and D. Yeah, because I am like you know a lot of a lot of the typical thing is like yeah we played when we were growing up, you know. And uh, it's always been a super huge passion. And for me, it's like, God, I, I hear people say these stories. And I'm like, I wish I had that when I was younger, but oh. we're here now. So that's, that's what's important. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, right? And I, I'm similar to you in that I didn't start playing really in earnest until I was in, you know, deep in my 20s, really. Uh, I, I, I loved it. I loved, you know, reading about it. And I read the books probably more uh, that, than was healthy uh, at, at, you know, three in the morning, uh, you know, that type of thing, like a kid growing up, but I never actually got a chance to play. And so it, I, similar to you, I just had that blossoming, like, all right, I'm all in at this point when I, when I had that first real role-playing experience. Yeah. So, you know, not, not dissimilar. I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that we're hearing a lot more now from folks, uh, especially as, as streaming and things have begun to make it more uh, accessible uh, on figuring yeah. out how to play. Um, and you guys were, were, were a big part of that. So uh, we were saying right before we started recording, um, you know, JP, you, you and, and Roleplay and, and this show uh, and all the shows that you do on Roleplay were, were one of the first kind of weekly series of D&D &D live play uh, that was being live streamed. Yeah, yeah. We started back in uh, February of 2013. So we're coming up on six years in about a month uh, wow. we've been doing this. Um, and we started back in... Uh, in, in 2013 playing second edition because uh, fifth edition didn't exist yet. Uh, I think it might have been being beta tested at that time. Right, with the D&D um, &D Next uh, yeah, uh, thing yeah, was happening. Yeah, D&D &D Next, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've done, I don't, I was trying to think and do quick math how many shows we've done uh, just across those uh, soon to be six years. It has to be 30 easily mm. um, that we've done spanning. Court of Swords has been the longest. Uh, obviously, we're coming up on episode 100, um, but we've had a couple shows reach around 50-ish is usually where um, we kind of start to, to finish those stories. Um, and everyone decides, you know, it's, it's time. It makes sense. Uh, but Court of Swords is just, we keep going. Uh, and we're <laughs> having a lot of fun doing it still. So Nice. 
Uh, Satine, did you did you watch uh, uh, this, you know these guys when they kind of started? I mean, I know you you and I pioneered a little bit of of, of some of the weekly edited shows, but like now, yeah, you guys are super inspiring. Definitely setting the the tone for everybody else. I greatly appreciate you and everything you've done. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. Uh, but you guys are also unique, uh, at, at least in some ways, in, in in taking folks that were more comfortable doing video game programming and, you know, uh, uh, shifting to tabletop. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and you know, how, wait, what, what was the inspiration for, for that? Sure. I mean, it, it kind of started out, um, the first show that we ever did when we were playing second edition, it was myself and a, a bunch of my friends from kind of the esports world. Um, and so I, I figured as we started down the road, it would just, I'd continue to pull in as many friends as I could to, you know, introduce them to tabletop and, and role playing and Dungeons and Dragons eventually. Um, and it, it just so happened to work. Um, I think actually one of the, <laughs> I remember now actually the story, uh, the first time <laughs> me and Max played together, they used to do a show, which I'm not going to repeat the name because it might not be kosher for this show. Uh, but in the yeah, show, yeah, <laughs> show every Friday, uh, they would play video games on, uh, or they would invite a person to play video games and, and do multiplayer stuff on their channel on a Friday night till, I don't know, whenever usually someone passed out from being too drunk. <laughs> and then the next morning is when we did the first episode of West Marches. So. I'm pretty sure the four people that came from that show uh, were all severely hungover uh, the next morning for that first episode of West Marches. So it was, uh, don't go watch the VOD is all I'll say. That, that was a, a tough time. We're all wearing sunglasses. It was. He talks like it was all us. Like no, it was me as well. His show, but I was pushing it. Yeah, he, was, he was with the shades and everything. Just, you yeah. know, we, we owned it though. It was good. It created a, a unique role-playing environment <laughs> and the funny thing yeah. is that maybe yeah. that was what it, you know allowed you guys to do such quiet uh character moments yeah. uh yeah. Exactly. it wouldn't yeah, have we'll, been we'll the same that. that sounds good that sounds <laughs> let's go yeah, with that so we, we just kept pulling in uh friends like that and and introducing them to the world and i think it's one of those things too where a lot of streamers um i don't want to say put on a show or put on a face for their own stream but a lot of people just can slide into role playing so easily, and they didn't even really realize it until the act of actually doing it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing a lot of people who have never done it before that have come on our shows and, and jumped into it after the first hour or so of being on one of the shows is, is super hooked and, and wants to play nonstop. Um, at least that's what I've seen. So it's a lot of fun for sure bringing people that have never played before into, uh, into the fold. And you guys are, are players, obviously not the dungeon master of, of, of Court of Swords. Um, what's it been like over, you know, the course of, you know, 90, 98 episodes getting into 99 and 100, um, right. you know, kind of reacting to what, uh, you know, uh, dungeon master Adam Coble kind of brings to the table. I know what happens on Court of Swords is, is, is very, um, uh, you know, I don't know, I would say different than a lot of traditional role play shows and or games that people are, are participating in. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we've shifted focus around episode 50. The, the first 50 episodes were so combat focused. Um, hmm. Basically, every encounter was deadly. Um, and so after, I don't know, 13 or 14 characters were lost, uh, three of mine and three shows specifically we kind of took a step back and was like, all right, the, you know, the audience as well as us as players are having a hard time 
you know, being connected and, and being interested in these characters when they're there for three weeks and then gone. Um, and so we, we started to take kind of a narrative style approach after that um, and, and move away from XP every combat rather now to XP every goal kind of met at the end of the session. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of that's just because Adam's, you know, a game designer himself and he can kind of homebrew a little bit of that stuff or a lot of that stuff on his own. Uh, I'm interested, though, in, in Max's answer to this because Max kind of <laughs> gets uh, the I, I don't know. I'm, I'll let Max fill fill in the blank there. How do, you, uh, how do you think about that? Max? Role playing with Adam is such a wondrous journey. <laughs> <laughs> Ups and downs. Um, no, Adam's a, he's a fantastic dungeon master. Um, and I think people who've watched the show, it's pretty self-evident that he's, he's got a super, super large amount of talent and, and passion for, for what he does. However, that's the PC response. The, <laughs> the real response is no. I love Adam. He's, he's super good at what he does and it's super fun to play with him. But man, does that boy punish you or just me? I don't know. It's, it, it just happens that way. Um, although, um, but what, yeah, what, maybe for folks who may not have, uh, uh, you know, watched every single one, like what do you, is it more lethal? Is the combat, you know, do you not pull any punches? Like what, what makes it so different? It's a combination of verbal uh, insults <laughs> on my character. <laughs> I like how abuse started to come out. You're like, nope, let's real. We're gonna go with insults. Let's push insults. <laughs> abuse. No, um, from, from his non-player characters. This is not from Adam himself, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I honestly, it's it's it it works well with me when somebody. Uh, it's it's that whole thing from where I grew up in the way I was raised where like if somebody teases you and stuff, they're comfortable with you. And yeah. if they're not saying anything, you know what I mean? To you, it's that very much that kind of relationship that I have with Adam and it works super well. Um, Adam. Yeah. It's just also that dude just rolls so well. I just don't understand, <laughs> at least in the digital realm, when we get in person, then I feel like it's a little more on the level. I, I swear <laughs> he's, he's skewing something with, with rule 20 and all that, but hacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always hacks. No, it's, it, honestly, it's, He's 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 the DM, right? So he's the one that's always going to end up uh, making the attack rolls on us and stuff. So it feels that way. But if you were to go over, you know, probably the stats and stuff, it's probably not too too bad. But yeah, it's it's cool having Adam as a as a DM. I feel uh, probably you know echoing the thoughts of the other players and stuff um, that play with him. Pretty lucky to to be able to to play with him, um, especially kind of as well as my first like DM, right? I had someone else that did it before. There was another friend of mine that was still pretty good, but um, not a lot of people get to, to, to kind of be introduced into Dungeons and Dragons in a real sense with somebody who has so much experience and just a crazy wild imagination that's able to kind of like, like JP said, homebrew all this stuff. So mm -hmm. it's been super fun. Yeah. Yeah, Adam's really great at listening to all the players. It's, he's amazing yeah. to watch. I love that yeah. that that skill as a dungeon master is like uh, you know uh, listening to to what your most horror nightmares are and then delivering upon those uh, nightmares for you. <laughs> yeah, right, Thanks. right. Yeah, he'll. Well, there's multiple times where he's pulled a player aside, or even in some of our our post talk or post show episodes um, that we record, where he'll just kind of put it out there and be like, "What do you guys think? Do you want to change anything up? Are you comfortable with kind of pushing down this narrative?" and uh, I think having that type of discussion uh, outside of the table, not necessarily in play, but outside of play, is, is really important to creating an environment that is fun for everyone. Hmm. Um, so I, I'm super happy to, to have Adam uh, with us, as long as we have had Adam with us at, uh, at Roleplay for, I don't know, four years now, something like that, three or four years. So definitely lucky. Uh, you guys have had several arcs, uh, story arcs, over the course of... Uh 
you're having episode 99 next week, right? So over 98 yes. episodes. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about those and like, like give the overview of what, what's kind of happened uh, in, in this? So, yeah, I, I think we're on the, I think we're on like season seven or arc seven right now, um, where most of the arcs all start out with a new character because the story is finished that I've wanted uh, with that character. But Max's character, Berg, is kind of the constant throughout the show. If, mm. if we had to name like a main character for the show, I think it would be Berg. Um, and he's lasted, I, I think he joined or created around episode... 27 or 37 yeah, do you remember something around, like around 27 or 30 i think people said something around 30 is a good kind of uh, yeah. ballpark yeah. range so he's we and we've done some time skips uh 10 15 years into the future and berg's kind of the constant um and so story-wise it you know in the first episodes we as players kind of created a we'll say a problem in, uh, in the Court of Swords itself. Court of Swords is one of the regions that Adam's created in his world mm-hmm. um, that just so happens to be the name of the show. And once that problem was created and those characters died, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of moved to other parts of the world and, and explored other things uh, that, that Adam has created. And now, you know, 100 episodes, 15, 20 years later, we're, we're coming back to kind of where it all started um, and, and dealing with the consequences i think of of those players uh or of our actions rather of those characters um for the first couple of episodes so there's a lot to digest i I think we always tell people the the best way to jump in is to uh jump in at the last uh arc start so episode 93 is when that uh, latest arc was Mm. um berg's still a character and ramus who's uh dan's gaming character um have been kind of the two i think ramus was around 35-ish or something like that, whereas me and Ezekiel, the third's characters, uh, were most uh, recently created in episode 92 or 93. So they're kind of the constants with a lot of the backstory, and, and me and Zeke are the ones that are more uh, new and still kind of fleshing out our, our tales and our stories. So it's uh, there's a lot in the world to, to and a lot of stories that we've told, but right now it's kind of coming full circle, so you don't really have to know too much of what happened in the center there to, uh, to jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were to, you know, I'm sure if I asked Adam this, I'd get a different uh, answer. But if you were to kind of summarize, you know, what the what the slug line or like tagline for what 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 makes Court of Swords different from from other D and D live play shows, what what do you think would be like? What would be the? Is it the intrigue? Is it the 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 lethality that you were mentioning? Uh, you know, what what kind of sets mm. it apart? You think as a player? That's a good question, Max. Do you have an answer for that quickly? Because I'd have to think about it for a little sec. Um. <laughs> I think one, like we touched on it a little bit before, part of the makeup of the, you know, the cast is like you'd have these random like Twitch broadcasters that are fully, you know, recognizable most of the time just on their own, doing their own gaming content and stuff. Um, so I think it's interesting, not only for for the show itself, um, but also for for me. Like I always say this to people, like just as as a broadcaster that has his own thing going on, this is all content that I can't make on my own. Mm. And this gives me a platform to be able to, to do it. That's kind of like the, the one side of it is that, you know, you have all these, like I said, I, it's, I get it so many times in my chat now too, um, where, you know, they either come through from, uh, from role play and say like, Oh, I watched you on, on JP's channel and, and, and really, really didn't know you did that. And I'm here now, you know what I mean? Or it's vice versa. And I have fans that have been following for a very, very long time. And, uh, and they say like, Oh wow. Again, like, I didn't know you did that. That's super, super cool. 
like, yeah, it's been going for, you know, a hundred episodes now. And there's, that's always coming through. But other than that, from the actual just show perspective, um, I think we combine a good um, combination and we always try to strike that harmonious balance of um, staying focused on the game and being uh, committed to our characters and in, in, in role play. But also, you know, we have those comedic moments and stuff. We have a little bit of table talk. It's a little bit loose, looser than a lot of other shows where they're just laser focused in all, all the time. And that's not to say that there's one right or wrong way to do it. But I think that's one we've, we've been pretty um, successful in striking that, that balance between not falling off the rails too much and being able to rein it in when necessary. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good, uh, good way to say it. I, I'll take and, and say what uh, Max said and echo that. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you just, good, JP? You did good, Max. <laughs> you're going to retweet that. Retweet what he just yeah, said. I'm going to retweet what Max said, yeah. <laughs> nice. What do you think, Satine? Uh, uh, if you were to, to, to uh, you know, uh, pick these guys' brains for any streaming, you know, tips or tricks to, to do with Maze Arcana, what would you ask? Oh, man. Uh, it, just business. <laughs> the business part. You, you Like, I'm so impressed with... Uh, your reach and the uh, the way you inter- interact with your community and just mm. it's in, it, like I said it before you guys are inspiring um, and so very specific uh, and I wonder if that's because of your um, uh, in, esports all the um, the other kind of um, you like streaming. concentrating on engagement like that kind yeah, of stuff yeah yeah because yeah. I mean like that's what you guys do right like and maybe esports is not like, but the Twitch streaming, like you in, like it's you and your viewers, like that is what you always do. And then bringing that into the tabletop streaming um, game stream, like how do you engage with your players while you're gaming? That's something that we talked about earlier. Was yeah. do you talk to them in Twitch while you're playing? Um, I think it depends on the person. Uh, Max is very good about being able to communicate with chat when it's when he's not necessarily in a scene on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is Adam as well, although Adam's in most of the scenes, obviously, being the DM. Um, but both Max and uh, Ezekiel the third will, will be in chat constantly. Um, if, if they're making jokes or something like that, he'll join in on the conversation. Um, myself, not so much, only because I'm usually the, the one running kind of all the production stuff. So my mind is... Uh, trying to keep all that in order and trying to keep focused on the show itself as well. Um, but I think also the, the other thing in terms of just kind of the business side of that, it's, it's definitely, at least for me, it's been a learning process from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the stuff that we do now comes from failing uh, the first time <laughs> at it. Uh, I don't think there's a right way to do, um, to stream D&D games. I don't think there's a right way to, stream on Twitch in general, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, putting yourself out there and, and trying new things. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And you, you kind of reel back and, and take another stab at it until it does work. Uh, at least that's kind of what we've done at Roleplay. So it, uh, I always tell people they, that I always get asked, like, you know, how do you get started streaming a game? And, and ultimately it's just turning the stream on and, and figuring out a way to incorporate Roll20 or put a camera on the table or however you're going to end up doing it. Um, and, and from there you start to, you know, develop new problems and hope hopefully you can find the answer for that stuff um or or see if someone else already has and kind of emulate what they do so it uh it's definitely not something that we just got right the first time uh there's there's a lot of stuff especially if you go back and watch kind of that first uh first episode from 2013 uh, and even the first episode of court of swords like our graphics have changed our 
the way that we incorporate Roll20 now is much different than we did back then where it was just a window capture, not to get too technical, but uh, now everything is automated. So we're plugged into the Roll20 API. So when Max mm. changes his HP and HP bar scales down and when he changes his strength or something like that after a level up and grabbing a feat, it'll change in the, the character sheet in real time on the show. Cool. Um, and, and that's all just through trial and error and, and finding people to help us you know, create those type of products. So it uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun the, the past almost six years now. Uh, I'm very interested to see what happens in the future as well. I think that's really good advice about streaming in general. I mean, something that uh, I had to kind of uh, sound the gong on a little bit here at the the D&D office because I think a lot of folks were like, oh, if you're going to be producing something, it needs to be perfect. Right. And like spending a lot of time and energy to make sure it's got everything you know, that, uh, you know, a live TV production might have. And I'm like, guys, I don't think you're really getting right. the, the beauty of Twitch is that it doesn't matter. Like, people actually like it more if it's got warts and, you know, you can see <laughs> yeah. the, the a duct. A less polish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think too, it feels more authentic. Is, too Perfect is, is, a, is definitely a, a thing that I think will will make some, you know, especially for d and I think, because it, people come from a place where they're playing it at home with their friends and it's kind of raw, it's a little gritty, you know? And to, to tune into something that is so, like, exciting and, and, and close to your heart and you watch a stream that's just, like, super, you know, typical Hollywood production and, and you know, real, real, you know, typical, uh, yeah, typical Hollywood. You want to have that kind of... You want to feel that it's a genuine stream of people that genuinely care about connecting with the chat and the viewers and stuff. So having a little bit of, you know, rough edges and, and stuff ar- around the production and the show and stuff, I think that works well. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's not necessarily something you should try to fake. I'm not saying like, you know, like <laughs> I can see like, like execs going like, this is what we do. OK, well, OK, <laughs> yeah. we'll fake it. <laughs> right. Well, oh, guys, whoops, we had a technical issue. You can't <laughs> fake nerddom. We're wacky. You know, like, <laughs> you're right. We got to wear the jeans with the holes in them. Uh, yeah. you know, got to put holes in them first, right? Or like, you know, this, these, these uh, pictures behind us, why don't you just tilt them a little bit to the left and that'll make it feel uh, you know, right. right. Like, yeah, yeah, I totally get Nothing it. Nothing too forced, I think, is, is probably the, the best way to, to kind of condense that and... Uh, yeah, not but, to say that production isn't bad or that, that production is, you know... Yeah, you always want to strive to improve. We definitely, uh, especially, you know, coming up on our 100th episode, the live live shows that we do in person uh, at a studio, it's, they're, they're super good. I'm, I'm always so impressed by, you know, how we keep expanding them the set, from the set design to a technical aspect and stuff. So I get so excited before these shows come up and I, I try to, you know, spread the word for people. Like, yes, you enjoy the show, like, as it is, but this is just like one of those extra special moments for us too. Not only because we're there in person, but because we get to cool, get to interact with cool technology and setup and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. And and while I'll say, you know, you definitely want to don't want to strive for perfection, but your image and your voice right now on this interview is perfection. <laughs> you've got like you've yeah. got, you know, the perfectly balanced uh, uh, thing behind you. Uh, I know some people in the chat are making fun of the fact you got a Christmas wreath up still, but <laughs> but besides right. that, man, ties it yeah. together. It's all good. It's I don't think I can improve your your uh, uh, you know presentation at all right now. So like that's well, you want to for this for the stuff that matters. Like what you see is like a good framed thing. And let me just point out, this is a chair right here. 
it's just a chair. <laughs> That's no reason up. for it to be there. Yeah. And then there's multiple books holding up that lamp. So why it might look all right. What you don't see is like the mess that's over here. Oh, right. You don't see behind the curtain. You know what I just that's realized? That's... That's actually HP. That's a Harry Potter th- light, isn't it? Yep. Oh, yeah, see, I thought it was. I thought yeah. you had swords that were like a court of swords uh, uh, motif <laughs> going back there. Cooler, <laughs> you should get some swords that look like the court of swords logo in the background. It's good. Idea. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. 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 All right. So I take that back. There's totally ways you can improve. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did the thing where somebody says like, "Wow, you're doing such a great job." I'm like, "Really? Not though, because look how horrible this is." <laughs> Let's go back to when we remembered it. We, we were professional. Yeah. Um, That's yeah, right. Very professional. Uh, but I mean, I do want to, you know, we're, we're talking about the visuals a little bit more, but I do want to say, and I think someone mentioned it in chat, and I just, it's worth highlighting that the audio for p- live play D&D shows uh, needs to be, uh, I was going to say legible, but, you know, you need to be able to hear what people are saying, possibly oh, yeah. more than you need to be able to see people's expressions. Yeah. Yep. Did you yeah. find that early on? Oh, yeah. From episode one um you know i think uh and, and that kind of harkens back to a good friend of mine dj weed has always said you know mm. you're only as good as your audio when it comes to streaming so if you can have the prettiest looking photo or image but the second you slap on you know like a five dollar mic it it immediately turn makes people tune out yeah um and so we've kind of always pushed for that and, and I think right now where we're at with the show is is the best it's been uh we've kind of finally found a solution after what felt like ages for me just searching for the the proper program to kind of put that stuff out but we're able to uh bring in you know a 1080 60 4000 bitrate feed that looks flawless and when you have uh streamers the nice thing is that they usually have a good camera like max and they have a good mic like max so it it makes sense for like an online show to have that type of stuff and that stuff really benefits so uh, that's one of the pluses of of working with uh, other streamers and and fellow fellow streamers that are my friends that I can bring in because yeah. they come equipped with that already. It's part of the it's part of the the, the professionals uh, you know bag bringing around almost at this point. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, you know you're getting up to 100 episodes. What's what's that feel like as a milestone? Yeah, it's one of those things. I've only had one other show uh, eclipse kind of the 100 mark, which is a show called Drop Frames, which is just like a general video game show. That's at like 176 now. Um, But most of the time, me and Adam or whoever the DM was of said show just felt like the story had been, you know, completed or or the journey had been completed for those characters. Um, But with Court of Swords, we keep trucking along. We just... Uh, this past episode actually hit level 11 on all of our characters and the leveling, wow. you know, I think compared to uh, other shows that have hit episode 100, they're generally in the upper teens at that point. Um, and so the leveling has been somewhat slowed down, I think, for the show. Um, but this is definitely the highest level campaign that I think the majority of the players on the show, save for maybe Zeke, have played in. Because mm. um, most, I think most people either get tired of a character around six or, or kind of play that character out around level six or so. Um, so that's definitely something that we've had to adjust to not only playing those characters, but I think Adam is, has kind of had to, um, I don't want to say push himself, but uh, kind of reorient himself with D and D and monster level and CR level when it comes to some of those high level encounters. And uh, I know most recently we've, we're starting to encounter creatures that we've, I've never seen. And I've read that book cover to cover and, and understand a lot of the monsters and he'll throw stuff in 
that I've just never heard or seen before. And, and that's a lot of fun for me. Um, and I think as, as well as the other players to just encounter something and <clears throat> as a player truly have no idea what to expect. And then, you know, a, a 40, 10 is rolled for damage and we're just kind of like, Oh crap. Like this is not a, <laughs> this is yeah. not going to go very well. <laughs> or there's an aura that's, you know, a 3d 10, if you're looking at a monster or something like that. And we're just like, Oh Okay. This. All right. Let's see how this goes. Let's let's see how this fight goes. So, it's been a lot of fun uh, in that re- regard as well. Yeah, the power level is definitely a shift, uh, right? Because yeah. you do end up having, you know, p- pretty good familiarity with you know spells and, and abilities from the first five or so levels. But then once you get higher, you're like, oh, I've got new toys to play with. Yep. And now, of course, that means Adam needs yeah. to have more new toys to play with to to, to take you down. Everyone wins. Exactly. Everyone wins. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, everyone wins, especially the audience, because they love to see us, you know, make those death saves and get into the character when, uh, or get into the character death when we're on, you know, death's door. So, right, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Max, what do you think about uh, uh, not necessarily even just you know power level or what we're talking about here, but like you know just getting to this milestone and what that might mean? I mean, I, I joked before, uh, you know, that you guys are going to be uh, you're in syndication. You know, you can start to be on uh, you know half hour segments on uh, uh, cable TV now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it's 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 kind of crazy that it's already coming up on a hundred episodes. Like, you can think about it if I go back and think about it and like especially gonna go watch back the old episodes especially episode one of Quarter Swords got such a difference (laughs) you don't realize how much has changed just production wise and even just character development and all of us just being comfortable and uh, you know meshing well and all that stuff and just having that nice balance but um, yeah it's also in the same sense it's flown by kind of crazy it's been nuts to have Berg survive as long as he have has (laughs) um, because I mean, we literally made this prophecy too when I made the character because it was coming off of a very quick character death that I just made. I was super excited for this character, Wester, that I made, and he died in the same in the debut episode that he was in. That's how brutal we were, like back then, in terms of uh, the combat and the encounters. They're still deadly and, and dangerous now, but you know we're a little bit better equipped for it. And uh, but to to get back to it, Berg, yeah, like when I made his character, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. He's a half orc barbarian. Oh, great. His stats are, he's really stupid and he's got some bad stats. Great. So, uh, yeah, he's Berg. We'll just call him Berg. Uh, he's giant <laughs> and he's pretty dumb. And yeah, because I don't care about this character as much, he's going to live forever. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it's not to say, too, that like Adam hasn't been just like making sure that Berg lives. Berg has been in so many different, almost on the cusp of death scenarios. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Um, but, it's been super, super fun still. And to play Berg, and I think a lot of people too probably ask or are curious about, you know, playing the same character for such a long time. Does it get boring? Sometimes, you know, a little bit, you know, it, it depends on an episode to episode situation, situation basis. But the challenge for me has been just trying to create a compelling, you know, arc for Berg where you see him change. Like JP mentioned earlier, we had a 15 to 20 year skip ahead. Mm-hmm. So we had kind of more like, seasoned like old man Berg and I had to think about the way to change his his demeanor the way he spoke um and all that stuff so that's kind of been the the constant challenge for me that keeps me interested and and not getting tired of the character I like the challenge of, of like how would he be you know what I mean rather right. than just keeping him the same um as any good D&D character player would do right you know you just try to think about what makes sense for the character and um being the same character for such a long time offers you offers you a unique opportunity to 
have a challenge and then try to rise up to that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, do you think, uh, you know, you, the, uh, this is just one milestone of many to come? I mean, uh, 150, 200, like, I, you know, is there... I mean, the, the idea of having these arcs and kind of seasons kind of means that you can, you know, keep it fresh, right? So it could right. potentially go on forever, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that, that's the plan. We, we do a bunch of different um, games in the sense of not just D&D on the, on the channel, but I, I feel like you, uh, not, not only because D&D has just become such a staple in the tabletop world, but because it's just needed. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the comfort food of, of tabletop is the way I look at D&D. Mm. Uh, and, and so we always want to have a D&D focused show, whether, you know, Court of Swords goes, uh, goes out and we decide to end that whatever episode that may be, there will probably most likely a hundred percent always be a, a D and D um, game in our, in our repertoire. Uh, it looks like we lost Max. We just lost Max. Oh, no. Yeah. He, he does have the, uh, Oh yeah. He, he was just texting me right now. Yeah. No worries. Okay. So he's, they're messing with his connection right now in, uh, in his house. So he okay. has issues every once in a while with his, uh, with his internet, unfortunately. We'll get him back. No worries. Yeah. He'll join back soon. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know, Satine, did you have any, any thoughts here? Um, yeah. What's this last arc about exactly? Yeah. Sure. So this last arc, um, I'm trying to think of the, the quick pitch for it. We, um, the, the previous arc was kind of a finish of, uh, we were in a city called the city of brass, which is, uh, in Adam's world, the most magically developed and, and largest city in the world. And it actually got uh, destroyed by kind of a primordial God. And there's this um, give and take between, you know, the gods of old, the primordial gods and this new arcana, the, the heaven and hell um, pantheon, as it were. And so this, this current arc right now, since we're revisiting kind of what happened in um, the first couple of episodes, um, I'm not sure exactly what Adam's going to tie it into, but, Character-wise, my character is, is looking to kind of find the, um, the God of Fire, Emix, in, in Adam's world um, to basically bring that and kind of create a pack that used to exist back in the day um, to then, you know, have the primordial gods and the giants and, and everyone else not kind of in the pantheon of heaven challenge heaven and potentially, you know, rival heaven on, mm. on that uh, aspect. So... Now that we're getting up there in levels, uh, we can do things like that. And it's, it's a lot of fun when you can do things like that and you're not just fighting, you know, some bandits or some goblins right, or some kobolds. <laughs> yeah, some kobolds or a necromancer that, uh, you know, is, is taking over a cave outside of a town. We're, we're doing things that are impacting the world on a global scale. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of where the, the story is headed. Um, there's, there's definitely, everyone's kind of got their own narratives character-wise. Uh, Dan's gaming character, Ramus. Um, the idea of a soul is, is something that comes up a lot. Um, there's a lot of philosophical discussions between characters and between NPCs that Adam creates. Um, but uh, Ramus, uh, Dan's, Dan's gaming character, is uh, lost without a soul and has been for quite some time. And so we're kind of seeing what that does to a body in, in Adam's world. And Ooh, neat. He's getting a little, a uh, little worse for wear. He's he's very close and, and on the brink of death. Uh, there, there's a bunch of penalties, both mechanically and kind of just day to day in terms of living. Um, anytime that Dan eats food in in character, it, it tastes like ash. 
it, it tastes like death. So he, he's Adam's really good about um, making life rough for characters, but still making it fun. Um, Max was kind of talking about how Berg's story thus far has always been one of Rune, and he's always kind of seen his friends fall by his side, and that's definitely something that's happened um, a lot. But more recently, he basically gave up kind of his, I guess, his his mortal body and, and ended up going to heaven. And there was kind of a whole side arc where Max was kind of on his own for an episode or two and uh, came back as kind of a uh, warrior of heaven. And so my character, who's definitely someone, you know, glued in, this is the type of stuff that only D&D players are going to be like, oh, this sounds great. Everyone else is like, man, what? this is so nerd. What are you talking about? Dude, I'm all <laughs> in. Best. That's, a, that's why I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, tell us more. Yeah, so my character is kind of the one that's um, a little bit apprehensive of, of Berg because, you know, he, he is this warrior of, of heaven, and that's kind of everything that I uh, abhor, so to speak, as a character. So there's that. And then uh, Zeke's character, uh, his most recent character, is a, um, a Loxodon, which mm. you guys actually just recently put out. Yeah. That's one of the cool things that me and whoever's creating the new characters, usually myself or, or Zeke, we usually try to play the latest and greatest that you guys are putting out there. So he's playing a Loxodon right now. Cool. Um, and in kind of Southeast Asia culture, uh, elephants are regarded as kind of holy creatures or, or heavenly creatures. And so that's what also Zeke's characters is whenever he walks into a town, everyone runs to him and starts, you know, praying to him and, <laughs> and asking for heaven's guidance, et cetera. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, tension between all the characters right now on the show. Um, and we, we just now got to kind of the, I guess the extent of civilization um, and, and where it's kind of all gone to rune. And so just now kind of going into that area, we're starting to actually work as a group, as a unit um, on our own kind of first adventure as the four of us. So it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm very curious to see where Adam kind of takes the story from here and, and kind of what we run into from that first arc that we had on the show almost two years ago now, or more than two years ago now, I guess. That's awesome because, you know, a lot of the new streams out, it's very low level and I'm extra hyped to watch the next couple episodes of this and, and amp up to episode 100. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. We just hit 11. So I, I play a fighter. Uh, which means I get three attacks around. So I'm Oosh. I'm all about that power creep right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I have a two, two-handed sword, so it's, it's three attacks around. I'm super about it. It's going to be super fun. Nice. Yeah, uh, and as a dungeon master, it's really cool to, to see other people play high-level uh, characters and watch other dungeon masters, dungeon master high-level games, because you get so easily trapped in the pattern of those low-level games that I'm... I'm really looking forward to taking a lot of notes. Mm. And there's a cool thing, definitely. I think you guys are, are experiencing, you know, the, the the middle stage where you're like, oh, you're getting, you're working on a, you know, kind of a nation or country kind of level yeah. of of importance, right? And then, you know, looking forward in case you know Berg is actually survives until level <laughs> 18, 19, 20, but then you you know you almost deal with more cosmic uh, kind of threats, you know, uh, uh, on par with deities and stuff like that. So then. Um, yeah, it, it gets into this whole new phase, but like I, I really like that middle phase where it can be, you know, all about uh, uh, having your actions impact, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of fictional people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it uh, it creates a tension, I, I think, as a player when your actions carry more than just for your immediate group. 
um, you, you have to you start to put more weight into each of your decisions and uh, and it just makes it more fun uh, playing that character on a, a second to second uh, rather than you know it's still fun to play a level one character but no one really cares about Bob the fighter uh, walking yeah. around in town. But the second that you're a level 10 or 11 fighter walking into town and, and people recognize you or they've heard stories of um, things that have happened to that character, that's, that's when it gets really fun. Uh, yeah. That's when, as a player, I think it really starts to, to make a lot of sense and, and be super, super fun to play in. You're paying off that hero's journey kind of. Yeah. Uh, totally, thing, yeah. yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Exactly. I guess level eleven is not high, but it's high to some of us. It feels <laughs> it feels like it, right? Because yeah, it feels high to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it is high. Yeah, it it, is. I, I feel like as characters right now, the way I look at it is that we're kind of making the decisions that'll shape the end of the game, so to speak. Mm. Um, and and Adam's done a good job of always bringing in uh, decisions for us to make that that make it seem like that. So one of the things uh, Zeke's character. Um, there, there's a political structure within the game where each court has like a knight, a queen, a king, and a page. And uh, Zeke's character is brought in this theory that the current court that we're in, the Court of Swords, is without a um, without a knight. And I ended up fighting Zeke's character as kind of a, a test of strength from my point of view. And he wanted to put on a show for kind of the acolytes of this temple that we were in. And it was a fighter versus a monk. So I just blew everything in the first <laughs> round, and he lasted a round. Uh, I ended up doing like he, he rolled a lot of his HP, so it's a little bit low. So level ten monk was about fifty, sixty HP, and that got just demolished in the first round. Right. Um, and so in that fight, he decided that as a character, he was going to push for my character to become kind of the the knight of the court. And as a character, I don't have really any interest in that. But as a player. That's something that we've never really done, and we've never really affected anything on that scale. We've always seen these knights from afar in other courts, and they've been kind of the the big bad evil guy, so to speak. Mm. Um, and so, with that in mind, it it brought in this idea. Well, maybe we can push down that. And and Adam was was talking about uh, Matt Colville's new book that just came out, the the Stronghold uh, book. Yeah. And so Adam was like, "Well, let's let's read that book and see if that makes sense to kind of bring into our world." So. Now we might be building like a kingdom, which I'm uh, super, super into. Uh, I and I think that. the other players cool. as well uh, are super, uh, super into it as well. So I dig that a lot because it moves, you know, the D&D role playing from that uh, kind of action set piece kind of game to the, the intrigue set piece, which has almost <laughs> as much, if not more stakes. Uh, you know, how, how you're going to act at that masquerade party in the court almost right. has more stakes than whether or not you're going to kill the dragon. You know, right? And I right. love that. Yeah, and then yeah. you have your players going. Can we just go back to the dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> right. So much yeah. life was so much easier. Remember then. when we were just you know banging goblins' heads against the wall? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that so much nice? Yeah, so much nicer. I, don't get me wrong. I I love fighting the, the being in the dungeons and being in the combat in D anD. d But there's been a string of episodes every once in a while, three or four episodes where no dice are rolled combat wise yeah. on the show. Um. And I think that's maybe something that's a little bit unique to our show as well, is we don't necessarily force the combat. Yeah. Adam doesn't really say like, oh, you know, it's been eight hours or, or 12 hours since you've been in a dungeon. Let's go fight something. It's, it's more just like, does it make sense? Does it make sense narratively? Do you guys have interest? Are you having fun right now? So those type of discussions come up a lot. Um, and more often than not, we're, we're in a town just having a, a conversation and, and kind of pushing the narrative down, uh, down the line, which 
is is nice to be able to play uh, with people like that because I think as a group you have to make that decision not as a not as an individual but as a group at the table. So uh, we got real lucky with the the people that we have at the table with us for sure. Sweet. What's it been like for you know you as a player on this show? Uh, you know, you mentioned how Berg has been had the longevity and 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 been kind of the main character. Um, do you get uh, you know frustrated as a player not having? Um, uh, that kind of long longevity, or do you, uh, it, it, or or have you enjoyed creating new characters and coming in? Oh, hey, Max is back. Yeah, I think it's on his Yay. phone. Yay! <laughs> the phone three G is working. Uh, hi, this is the worst setup ever. Uh, I'm on my phone. <laughs> yeah, Greg, it's all right. Greg cursed you when he when he talked about how good everything looks. I know. <laughs> doing me. I'll take full blame on that one. My bad. Uh, but this works. We can <laughs> hear you. Nothing, I suppose. Yeah, they literally, they were supposed to call Comcast, you know, before they did anything. And I was going to, you know, tell them to hold off and say, they cut the line, didn't say anything to me. I'm like, okay, cool. Great. So here we are. There you <laughs> go. See, you know, a little bit more of a candid thing. Hopefully the audio isn't completely garbage. But, oh, you, you really know, do need to take down your Christmas tree, don't you? I do. I thought the wreath was like the one holdover, but like, nope, there's still, still all, everything up. Yeah. yeah, it's the test of a streamer to find a last-minute solution when your net goes out. So, <laughs> yay. You did yeah. it. Uh, anyway, I, I was just asking JP whether he was, uh, uh, you know, enjoyed making new characters and bringing new ones to the table and if there was any, you know, hard way to get a longevity kind of feel there. Yeah, I, I think it's something, um, I mean, over j- just within Court of Swords, I think I've played... 11 characters, maybe? Wow. You were going to say, I thought you were going to say 30. (laughs) No, well, over the course of role play, it's probably 50 or 60 easily. Nice. Um, But yeah, I've always been the, the, when I go to create a character, it's definitely, my philosophy behind it is to not and go and write, you know, the the 10 page Google doc or, or journal or whatever with the backstory of that character. It's, one thing in one note, and you just push into the the first episode and and form that character around the rest of the party. Um, and so, I've had a lot of fun doing that. But I think every once in a while that it does uh, need to be fleshed out. And I've had a couple characters go. I had a character most recently, um, the character before the one I'm playing right now, go about thirty episodes. Um, and narratively, it made sense. Uh, the final episode that he was in, and it's kind of become a a meme or a joke on the the show now. Um, the final episode he was in, he basically stumbled upon a god, mm. and wasn't the only person left um, at that point, party wise. And so he told the god that he wanted to be forgotten about and wanted to um, disappear. And without thinking, Adam just said, "Yeah." He snaps his finger and you disappear, and it's as if you never existed. No one remembers your name. No one, and so the joke is that we don't even mention the character. It's like, what? Who was there? Was a fourth person there? That didn't exist. Um, and so the the hope is, you know, twenty episodes, fifty episodes, however long from now, that I go and revisit that character and figure out what's happened. Oh, that's kind of um, cool. And so that that was the type of thing where you know I, I had an immediate thought in my head of what I wanted, and Adam was like, "Yeah, he's gone. You disappear." And I was just kind of like, oh, 
all right, well, I guess I'll start rolling a new character because <laughs> I can't really play him anymore. So that, that type of stuff is, right. I, I'm all about like the, the big flashy moments like that. That's, that's the type of stuff I love. Um, and so that, that's, we'll see what happens. Right, right now, I'm, I'm actually playing something a little bit opposite what I usually play um, in terms of, I'm like a very positive character. I'm a very nice person for the most part. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to fall into the kind of that, the, the jerk that, you know, kind of pushes people around type, at least for me it is, that pushes people around character. But now it's, now I'm working for the greater good. And that's, that's been a lot of fun for sure. That's good. That's good. Uh, and then, so, so yeah, Max, well, I mean, uh, the opposite question there kind of, you know, I, I, you said how this has been the longest leading character and you've taken a lot of uh, insults from Adam and all that. But do you feel any uh, extra responsibility being now that that anchor of, of of you know trying to keep Berg alive and be that main character or or yeah how does that, how do, how do you react to that? Yeah, um, sorry for this horrible angle too. I just couldn't hold the uh, camera. No worries. <laughs> as as you I didn't want to get your your tricep uh, uh, <laughs> no. works reps um, in. Yeah, for for Berg because he is such a long running character, um, and I didn't plan for it to be that way. The fact that he's existed so so long and, and been able to, you know, narrowly escape death so many different times. And he has, at this point, you know, like such a, he's like a legend in the world of Court of Swords, right? You know, people know of him. And it's really cool and fulfilling to play a character that, that has that kind of awesome history behind him. But I've said multiple times publicly on chat and in post shows that we do that if Berg goes, I mean, it'll suck. And I, of course, I'll feel like, you know, it'll probably hit me delayed and I say that it'll be fine. But I, it's it's just cool that he's had this much time already. You know what I mean? If it happens, it happens. I'm not sitting there like, oh, God, I hope Bird doesn't die, you know, like constantly. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of a mixed bag where I know that it, I, I tell myself, like, yeah, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Like, he's oh. been around as, like, you know, don't be sad that it's, it, that it, you know, it's, it's gone. Be sad or be happy that it happened, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with Bird. Um, I think I would be sad, of course, but... I don't feel a whole lot of pressure uh, with that because even though Berg is like the kind of the, the anchor character that's stuck around for so long, I mean, the rest of the characters bring a hell of a lot to the show, you know, and, and Ramus's character, too, has been around for a long time, too. So he's kind of like that other, uh, you know, old school character that uh, that has been around, too. So there's there's another tie in there with him. It's not just all on Berg. Also, Berg is kind of dumb. So, you know, if I screw up, <laughs> nobody really knows. You know what I mean? It's it was, easy it, to play a character when they have really low intelligence sometimes. Yeah. It works in your favor. That is the best. <laughs> that is the best. You can be uh, the hardest part is playing for me a low wisdom character with a high intelligence because uh, I'm always like, right. what is that? How do you? Yeah. And then I've just always right. been yeah. like, they're berserkers or some kind of crazy, but they also really want knowledge and they will do anything to. Uh, 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 you know, get that spell book or something like that. But yeah, no, it's 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 it can be very fun for that type of thing. Um, yeah. So I know uh, you know we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, but the last question I want to make sure uh, uh, I, I'm personally interested in is uh, the kind of game that Adam has designed around uh, Court of Swords uh, that the that the chat and the and the community kind of participate in. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? How, how do you interact with 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 that kind of meta game? Yeah, I think that. Adam is a really good job or does a really good job um, of just listening. I, I think Satine mentioned that earlier. It's a strength that not that many people, I think just in life, it's a good uh, thing to do is always just listen. Yeah. Uh, but Adam really brings it into the, the role of DMing. Um, and so, you know, he'll, 
whether it's in the show, reading chat, or whether it's in post shows or, or anything like that. Uh, he even, uh, for one of the other shows that we do, Far Verona, um, decided that he was going to create a Discord. And, and we wrote that into kind of our Patreon to where you can jump into a Discord for Far Verona and shape the universe and join a faction within that world. And uh, he's able to um, you know, do a faction turn every single month where mm. people have been RPing in this Discord text or, or voice base and they'll sit there and, and decide upon a way to um, vote uh, on different things happening and then they're a little bit further ahead in where the actual show is time wise but um, it'll affect the players uh, in real time on their show as they go along so it's uh, it, it's remarkable to, to see a or to have a DM to have someone working for you that is just like hey we're going to do this thing and I think it's going to work, and then it ends up both being a huge success for the community and also a huge success commercially for the, the show, business-wise for the show. Um, and so that's it's it, it's a blessing to, I think, work with Adam. I, I don't think I say that enough. Uh, most <laughs> of the time, I'm on a show with him, and I don't want to boost up his ego too, too much. Right. <laughs> it's not like he's in chat and absorbing all this amazing yeah, praise. Adam, Adam, close the stuff. Stuff. Get out of here. <laughs> you said, JP, I have the clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't say it enough. Adam, Adam is uh, one of the, the rare people out there that we just happen to, to luck in and, and work with on a, a weekly, almost daily basis. So it, it's phenomenal. Uh, everything he does from a DM's aspect uh, or DM side of things is just awesome. Cool beans. Well, uh, you guys are awesome yourselves. Uh, I love that you've been doing this uh, for, for 98 episodes right now, and then you'll soon, by you know, a week's time, be be 100 uh, in, and uh, everybody should should watch that. Uh, uh, why don't you g- give us all the, the, the viewable uh, stats, where, where people can, can check it out. Sure. Uh, so Court of Swords happens every Tuesday at 6 o'clock Eastern uh, over at uh, itme.jp or twitch.tv slash itmejp. Um, the live live show uh, is going to be happening on January 19th, starting at 1 o'clock Eastern. Should go for six to eight hours. We haven't decided. We usually do eight hours, but after that lunch break, coming back sometimes, we're a little tired after we talk. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're still trying to figure that out. You'll um, be better off than that first uh, episode where everyone was hungover, at least. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's going to debut the, the role play studio, which we've been working on the past, uh, I don't know, six, seven months. So that's uh, super excited to finally get that out there so we can kind of get that into the swing of things and do more live stuff. Um, so, yeah, hope to see you guys either on uh, Tuesday for episode 99 or on January 19th at 1 o'clock Eastern for uh, the big episode 100 of Roleplay Court of Swords. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, Max, where can people find out uh, about you and, and your own streams as well as, uh, you know, Twitter handles, things like that? Yeah. Yeah, my stuff's pretty pretty easy. Everything uh, on the internet, you can find me under just Gassy Mexican. Silly name, I know. Younger Max made it. Uh, at least people remember it. That's the thing. Um, That's true. Yeah, I'm a variety broadcaster on Twitch. I also upload stuff to YouTube, and Twitter is all that. You know, you can find out what I'm up to and what I'm doing on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. Fall if you want, but no worries. If not, sorry for the technical issues. Sorry that Comcast just decided to snip that thing. Hopefully the, the phone segment... Uh, you know what? It added flavor, right? It added it's a flavor, spice. right? <laughs> really come back, won't he? Oh. I, I feel like it was the uh, 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 you know the evidence for what I was mentioning earlier exactly. about about making it work no matter how you can. So, <laughs> yep. you yep. guys did that for sure. 
Uh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, congratulations preeminently uh, uh, or, or preemptively for your uh, episode 100. I can't wait to watch. We'll be hosting it here on the D&D uh, Twitch channel as much as we can. And we hopefully it won't conflict too much with other programming or what's happening at PAX South. But we will have, uh, uh, you know, it open here. And, and uh, I hope everybody tunes in and starts watching uh, uh, Court of Swords if you're not already. And if you're fans, uh, you know, it'll be a, a celebratory thing where you can all have fun together. Uh, so great. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on the show as well. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words and for the support for, for the, the upcoming show. Appreciate it. Thanks. It's been super fun being on. Awesome. You guys are great. And uh, we're hoping for episode 300. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We as well. No we pressure. Well. <laughs> no pressure at all. Uh, that was a fantastic interview uh, with Max Gonzalez and uh, It Me JP. Thank you guys so much uh, for, for being around for that. Um, I am obviously missing my co-host. Uh, Shelly Mazanoble will be hopefully back uh, uh, for, for episodes in the future, but wanted to kind of kick this off and get going. And then, of course, we have Jeremy Crawford still here on the microphone. So thank you for returning to uh, record our Sage Advice uh, segment for this podcast. My pleasure, and I hope we have many more this year. Exactly. Uh, do you have any hint? I mean, obviously, We've been hinting all along about what's to come for Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, uh, you are going to be at PAX South very soon. Yes, uh, next week I will be at PAX South to DM the Acquisitions Incorporated Group's second session in Ravnica. <sighs> and when we last left them, uh, wood chippers <laughs> were rushing in toward Jim Dark Magic and the dryad that they were there to rescue. So we'll see if they make it out of the wood chippers. <laughs> <laughs> now, your first uh, foray uh, dungeon mastering for Acquisitions Incorporated was during PAX Unplugged yes. uh, uh, at the end of last year. Uh, and uh, you knew that you were going to be coming to PAX South. That must have been kind of fun to have that, uh, you know, b- being able to have a, a, a one coming very soon so that you could tie them together this way. Yeah, and the last one was so fun to DM. Even as we were wrapping up, I was sitting there on stage making some notes, and I thought, oh, I can't wait for the next session. Nice. Uh, and Because it just it felt like a great home game. And, you know, any, any DM, you've had that feeling before where, you know, you just spent three to four hours DMing, but you're already dreaming about the next three to four hours. I get that a lot, yeah. Uh, and it's just like a normal home game, but with 300 people <laughs> live watching and, and uh, <laughs> laughing at your every move. Was that uh, you know, a somewhat new experience for you? I know you've Dungeon Mastered for, for years and years and years, but not in front of so many people. Yeah, I've, I've, I've DMed for people watching many times before, but yeah, never a group that big. Uh, and also now, you know, of course, that... The size of the audience is multiplying as the videos on YouTube and on Twitch, uh, and it's been fun seeing you know people's feedback. Uh, of course, some people loved what I did. Some people will forever hate me for not being Chris Perkins. Uh, and, and everyone hates me for not being. Everyone hates not being Chris Perkins. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I just uh, keep doing my best and keep having a great time uh, DMing for those folks. Well, I've heard nothing but good things uh, about uh, you know the storytellings you were you were able to weave uh, together, and I'm looking forward to Pack South. So that's uh, January. Uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th, and I think, when, when, is, your, when is your session? Is it on the 18th? It's on uh, that Saturday. The Saturday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's the 19th. Uh, and uh, yeah, 
tune tune into that. That'll be on the Penny Arcade Twitch channel, uh, and uh, we will be hosting it uh, as as much as we can. Um, and uh, yeah, so look for it here on the Twitch channel for for D and D Twitch TV slash D and D, and we'll be back up to a full schedule of uh, many of our our weekly shows as well as our internal uh, interview shows. So Dragon Plus, which you are a frequent guest of uh, guest of uh, on Bart's show, so you'll be on there. Um, Mike Merles will be doing. Uh, a, a bit of a hiatus on uh, Mike Reynolds' Happy Fun Hour, but that should be coming back in March. And uh, then we got Rivals of Waterdeep, uh, as well as uh, some some more fun shows uh, that I'm just itching to announce right now. But we're we're working on the final steps of that before we make that happen. But uh, more and more will be added into January and February to a, a, a already robust schedule. Uh, so look for that. Uh, of course, I do D&D news uh, on Tuesdays leading into Dice Camera Action, uh, where people can watch Chris Perkins still torture uh, folks. Uh, so that is is, is going strong. And uh, they're on episode, oh, gosh, 123, I think, uh, for, for next week. So I hope you, you can tune into that and see everything that's happening there. Uh, Dice Camera Action folks will be live at PAX South as mm-hmm. well without... Uh, Chris Perkins being there. Uh, he is sending letters, I believe, uh, that they will react to live on stage, opening up uh, them uh, and seeing them for the first time in front of everyone. And so he, I know he's been spending a lot of time making that uh, feel as interesting and new. And, and you know, DMing by proxy uh, right. is pretty interesting. Uh, so I can't wait to see where that, where that goes as well. Um, and there's a bunch of other fun panels and things uh, and uh, uh, new projects you might hear about at PAX South uh, uh, going on. Quite possible. Um, any other fun product stuff I'm, I'm forgetting to mention? I know our partners uh, are doing all kinds of fun miniatures. There's a uh, Falling Star ship that's coming mm-hmm. uh, uh, from WizKids, which I'm really excited about. I love the idea of having a, a two-scale, you know, a two-D&D miniature scale um, ship out there. Um, I don't know why that would be worth, uh, worthwhile. I mean, yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and we, I mean, it's, this time of year is, is always fun because... We're, it's the most mysterious because we, we haven't announced what's coming up this year. And so it's basically, you know, mums the word on everything. Right, exactly. Until, until uh, Nathan Stewart spoils it all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which we love. Uh, so if you want to find out about anything happening in Dungeons & Dragons world, uh, the best thing would be the, the twitch.tv slash dnd to watch more. Um, follow us on Twitter at uh, wizards underscore dnd. Uh, we are also on Instagram uh, in that configuration. I myself am on Twitter and Instagram uh, as Greg Tito. We're on Instagram as Greg underscore Tito, I believe. Um, uh, so look for me there. And, of course, follow at uh, Shelly Moo uh, for my co-host and uh, give her some high fives. And uh, I guess that's about it. Let's let's close it on out. Uh, this red dragon looks really nice. I think it might. Oh, my God, it's eating my face. <laughs>